manga mavericks and anime. And that's what I think this arc did so well is, you know, it didn't try to create something more than what it needed to be. It just gave us a reason to kind of get those moments in a pretty interesting format. Actually, you know what? There's one thing I do want to bring up that I think did kind of bother me a little bit. Oh. It was one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure if I'm just remembering this wrong or if this is like an actual inconsistency. Because there is the, um, I guess the one hour special or whatever where Goku actually... You're a wordy little bastard, aren't you? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole thing about the spirit bomb is that... Nerd! After six long months, our Dragon Ball Super Podcast is finally here! Coming up... Now! Dragon Ball! I'm excited, ready to go. You're gonna wanna listen, you know, to a podcast six months in the making. I know it should have come out earlier. I'll give no excuses. No, sir, you won't get new satisfaction. But now it's edited, and here it's presented. A Dragon Ball Super Podcast for Super Nerdy Guys makes me happy. We discuss it all. Every arc, big and small, and we describe what makes the series so special. A few months may have passed, but Dragon Ball will always last. The Broly movies and theaters now, so let's talk about the show. Hey, why we're thankful for a series we all adore. I know that I love the show with all my might. Cause it's Dragon Ball Super And now you'll hear what we have to say Last time on Manga Mavericks and Anime <coughs> Sid wanted to talk about the first episode of Black Clover So he recruited his good friends Annalisa and Maxi, And they discussed the first episode of Black Clover And they thought it was very promising But then, as the anime continued forward It started to be less promising So we thought we should talk about it again But then Sid had to go back to college And there was no time to record the podcast so, we put that on the back burner for a couple months. But then, Sid graduated college, and we decided, okay, the show is halfway over, it's 51 episode run, why don't we talk about it now, it'll be a good opportunity. But then, we kept out to rescheduling all our other podcasts around, and then there was just no time to record it, so we decided, okay, I guess we're not doing this Black Clover anime podcast right now, I guess we'll have to put that on the back burner. Uh, that's too bad, hmm, we should talk about something else hmm oh wait a minute there's this other awesome show that i really love that i want to talk about and i know just the people to talk about it and so sid went out and contacted sam leach from the one piece podcast and anime's news network and chris larios the host of weekly manga recap and his good buddy co-host among eric's colton to discuss dragon ball super did they like the show? How much did they have to say about the show? Will this be another four-hour-long podcast like our World Trigger discussion? Find out today <laughs> on Manga Mavericks and Anime! <laughs>
Dragon Ball Super Podcast hasn't there been already so many of those? Why is this so late? Oh well, the monitor is talking about it. I was not prepared for that at all. <laughs> that was Sam, cool. Uh, I, I know how you feel. I, I'm, I'm never prepared for those either. Yeah, I, I like to shake things up. I like to start off on a adrenaline pumping That's note, good. like episodes of Dragon Ball Super. When they do that intro, when they go into that sting of Un- Limit Break Survivor, I'm like, yeah, Dragon Ball Super. So hopefully that got our listeners excited to listen to this Dragon Ball Super podcast with some really awesome guests. Can we insert some guitar solos throughout this podcast then, too, to really, like, build it up like a Dragon Ball episode? I will. That would be an amazing idea. I will insert uh, teens from the OSD. I mean, we gotta get Ultimate Battle in here somewhere. I'll put that in when our discussion is at our most feverish pitch. When we're at the most (laughs) excited. But we gotta build up to that. You know, if they started the yeah. Tournament of Power with Ultimate Battle, you know, it would be, oh, it's, this is a cool song, but I don't feel the emotion here. But they saved it for Goku versus Jiren and activated Ultra Instinct. And then it was like, pow, it was like, oh my God, amazing moment. I'm excited now. I'm, I'm excited to find out where that song shows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, even the people who are on this podcast are excited to go back and listen to it again and again. Have they released that song as a single yet? I think they have. I mean, you can find it on YouTube, but... It's always like covers or something. I'm pretty sure it's out there somewhere, because I'm pretty sure I listened to it before. I think they released it as a single along with, like, a few, like, cues from the show that, like, used the music from that song or something. Yes, they did release it. They released it in the Super Team Song Collection, which came out in uh, February. Hmm, okay. I was going to say, if it wasn't out by now, I mean, that'd, be, that'd just be weird. Because <laughs> I went looking for it a few times, and I always thought that was weird. That I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. They held off on it. I guess so. Build that anticipation, just like you couldn't hear it until the, the Jiren fight started. You can't get the song until the show's basically over. You yeah. Know? They, didn't want, they didn't want to spoil you. <laughs> they didn't want to overload you from hype. Exactly. Yeah. But before we get to the discussion proper, let's uh, backtrack and introduce our guests a little properly now. Uh, we've got joining us again is Sam Leach from the One Piece podcast and daily streaming reviewer for My Hero Academia, One Piece, and Black Clover for Anime's News Network, as well as Dragon Ball Super. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going good. Mm. Yeah, really happy to have you back on, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. And joining us for the first time is Chris Larios, the host of Weekly Manga Recap and the Super Larios Brothers Super Show. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'd like to announce myself as the real-life Krillin, everybody. (laughs) You're going to be the first to be eliminated in the Tournament of Power? Oh, yeah. In the Tournament of Power of Life, I'm always the first eliminated. Oh. So I want to I I clutch onto that title as quickly as I can. I want something. But hey, you'll inspire your rival anyway. And he'll use one of your techniques in his battle with, uh, with the big bad. So there you go. Exactly. 
You still have a good supporting role. And hey, you're you're married to a really uh, attractive android, so you yeah, know it's true. not a complete a lot loss. Of perks. Yeah, uh, my my Android 18 though I think is uh, my PlayStation 4. So, but hey, it's got Persona on it. That's all I need, right? Can't hear it, but I'm just like nodding. <laughs> I mean, that's that's close enough. If we Lord was here with us, he would agree to. <laughs> though he cheats on uh, his PlayStation 4 with the, his Wii U and his Switch. And all <gasps> the other consoles. He's, he's really playing the field. No Xbox? Uh, no. <laughs> mm. But, yeah. Excited to have you guys on to talk about Dragon Ball Super. And I think what's really interesting about this discussion and why I really wanted to have you gents on is that I think we all come from Dragon Ball from a different place and with a different perspective of like what we really enjoy most about the franchise. And so I was really enjoying listening to your guys' thoughts as Dragon Ball Super was going and hearing how you reacted to events in the series as it progressed. And I thought that it would be really cool to have you guys on to talk about the show and like kind of compare like how we feel with how the series ended up and how it went along and where we think it can go. Right on. Absolutely. And so to start off, I want to kind of get everyone's backgrounds with Dragon Ball, like how they felt about Dragon Ball going into Super. And why don't we start with you, Sam? Oh, uh, let's see here. Dragon Ball is probably like the most formative, like, thing from my childhood. I, I think we all kind of at least share that thing in common where we grew up with it in, in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's it's as big of a just like a staple of my life as like Pokemon or One Piece or anything. And like before I was a One Piece guy, I was a Dragon Ball Z kid. Like my life revolved around uh that and uh I think like like a lot of people, I came to it through Toonami. You saw it on Toonami, you catch up. I, I always loved that kind of experience of like you know some of the story, like your friend knows another part of the story and you're all like trying to fill each other in on what's going on and you kind of make legends out of like the big episodes like the the Super Saiyan and stuff like that. But I think one way in which I diverged from a lot of people that I knew at my age is that fairly early on I got into the manga. Like I was like 11 and I was like collecting the manga and I, I got all of the... What Viz put out as Z was like my main focus. I got some of... OG Dragon Ball, but like the Z era, uh, I had the whole manga collection. I read it over and over and over again as a kid. So that's kind of like my default like experience with the the series is just sort of like reading uh, the original manga. And like at a certain point, I kind of actually moved away from the anime altogether. Like it, it just uh, wasn't scratching the same itch as the manga was for me. So mm-hmm. yeah. So like coming into Super, what were your feelings towards a continuation of Dragon Ball? Uh, it's I think it's always been mixed because you've got GT hanging over your head. Mm-hmm. Um, like to me, the style of storytelling in, in Dragon Ball was like so specific. The way that the story flowed in the manga is like such a unique thing to me. And like I always liked the idea of like a more continuation that sort of felt like it was in that spirit. But like I, I knew the likelihood of it really truly capturing that spirit was pretty. Uh, low, especially with like my general distaste of like what the the modern animation style looks like. Yeah, those Yamamuro character designs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I loved Battle of Gods when they put it in theaters. I thought I thought Battle of Gods like really said something about Dragon Ball that I was like, yeah, that's it. Like they understand something about what I find special about this series. And then Resurrection F happened. Did not feel the same way about that. Mm. Uh, and then Super happened. And then before I ever was what you know, like I I only started watching it once the um. Once Crunchyroll got it. So I only heard, like, the horror stories about, like, the 
the really rushed looking episodes and the fact that they spend the first few arcs remaking movies, remaking movies worse than they were in movie version. Uh, so like I was, I was kind of on shaky ground with that. And then, uh, I was coming in mostly at the end of like the future trunks saga, which was like just a real roller coaster of like, uh, I don't think I like this. Oh my God. I think I love this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I like this. And you came in towards the tail end of that too. You started with episode 63, I believe. So like only a few episodes until the end. Right. And like, if you read my like reviews on A and N, like there's like, it's such a, like I'm, I am constantly trying to figure out what my like consensus opinion on this show is like the first review is like, ah, this kind of poorly animated. This doesn't. And then the next episode is like, this is the perfect, like sensationalist. Like they're just having fun. And then the next episode is like, eh, okay. It's a real roller coaster, but that is the Dragon Ball fan lifestyle. Oh boy. Yeah. But Chris, I want to hear about your background with Dragon Ball now, because as a listener of WMR, uh, when you've talked about, about Dragon Ball before, you've mentioned that you're not quite as big a fan of the franchise as a whole. So I'm interested in what your t- opinions were about Dragon Ball before Super and then how you got into watching Super. Sure. So uh, I was not particularly like a Dragon Ball kid growing up. I, I can't remember specifically why. I, like Part of my mind thinks that maybe before it went to Toonami, the only time to catch Dragon Ball was like super early in the morning and I just I don't function early in the morning ever. So it was one of those things I didn't catch for a very long time. You know, uh, most people, when they talk about Dragon Ball, they tend to have the fondest memories for the Frieza arc, but I don't think I've ever actually seen the grand majority of the Frieza arc in general. I think the most I've gotten out of that is watching Dragon Ball Z abridged at this point. I'm like, I feel like I got the gist of what this is all about now. (laughs) I started in the Cell arc, and I think it was right about the time that Cell started absorbing the androids. I think I just caught a random episode on Toonami uh, and then just started going from there. And I watched all the way through the Cell arc and up through a grand majority of the, uh, the Boo saga before I stopped when it went on a break. There was like a long hiatus it took when they moved on to Kid Boo, and I kind of just tapped out at that point because I was, I was very exhausted of the series at that point. Mm. Uh, and it was just not something I kind of kept in my back corner, but uh, I didn't really have friends who watched Dragon Ball growing up or anything like that, so it wasn't a series I had the biggest fondness for in the same way a lot of other people did, but always aware of it. And when Super came around, it really, again, wasn't something I paid too much attention on. I kept confusing Super with Kai, thinking they were the same thing. I was like, yeah, super. It's like the the, the bridging of everything to like impress it, right? <laughs> and then eventually, Nick, uh, my co-host from Weekly Manga Recap, and I, we did a commentary on Battle of the Gods, just as a random, like, hey, this movie's out there. We haven't done anything Dragon Ball in a while. Let's give that a shot. So that was like my first taste of anything post-GT of Dragon Ball. And then I just happened to have like a bunch of friends in my local D&D group who would constantly talk about Dragon Ball Super, and I was like, let me give it another shot. And I came in right as the Tournament of Power arc was starting, which, like, hearing them talk about, like, the Universe 17 come together got me, like, super hyped. It just connects on that very visceral, like, battle shonen. Like, there's a specific number of characters they need from their team, and it's a combination of old allies and former foes and things like that. I I got super pumped just to see that. Came out on a great Gohan episode, which was, like, a, a good starter for me, because he's, he's one of my favorite characters. And then just kind of watch the series through that, because this was a, a different sort of formula than I had noticed from any previous sort of Dragon Ball arc that I had seen to this point. So that's kind of just how I got into it and followed it through to the end of the, the series as it ran. Excellent. 
I mean, I think that appeal of Dragon Ball Super in particular is just like, yeah, all those characters like coming together and like the excitement of like, oh my god, this is gonna happen with this. It does tap into like this super shonen thing that's really awesome with like, yeah, teamwork, super cool. And then also, yeah, my, you know, if you're a super fan of the franchise, it's like, yeah, this character I really like is finally getting to do something for once. <laughs> I remember complaining on the podcast or during like a, an opening to one of our bonus episodes or something like that about how annoyed I was that Master Roshi was on the team. I was like, this is ridiculous. Why is this guy on the team? I don't think I love any character more than I do Master Roshi after the whole tournament of power arc was done. I just, that's the whole thing that I loved about the way this arc was kind of structured is a way to give all these side characters a chance to get like a new spotlight shown on them. Totally. I feel really similarly. I think we'll dig into that later as well. But to continue off just giving our backgrounds, Colton, would you like to give uh, your background with Dragon Ball? Sure. Um, so just like the rest of us, I grew up with the franchise, obviously. You know, I'm definitely one of the many people who grew up watching it on Toonami and whatnot. I have very vivid memories of watching at least most of Goku versus Frieza. I want to say this was before I was like 10 years old. I was, was definitely pretty young. I would always watch Toonami every day after I came home from like elementary school or something. And those were simpler times. But I kept up with Dragon Ball Z at least from the very beginnings of like the Freeze fight up until like I think the end of the Cell stuff. And that was all that I had seen for a while because I think I kind of fell off of it once the Boo stuff started. I think to this day, I think I've went through the Boo arc at least once and I don't think I've revisited it, like, at all since then. So I need to do, like, another read of the manga, or actually watch all of the show at some point. Like, I have most of the Dragon Boxes. I should probably get to that at some point. I've watched most of that on television, and then I think I, I fell off of it for, like, a few years? I don't, I don't really remember how long. But then, you know, my friends in school at the time just kind of started talking with me about it. And I, I think it was around the time, like, the PlayStation 2 video games were just starting to sell like stuff like Budokai and onwards and whatnot. Mm. I vividly remember visiting a few friends of mine back in fourth grade who just happened to have a PlayStation 2 and a copy of Budokai. And I remember, you know, just begging my dad to buy me a PlayStation 2 and Budokai right after I had uh, played it. Because I was like, man, I wish I had this thing. I think I learned about most of the story through some of the video games, actually, at that point. It wasn't until I was a... I want to say a sophomore in high school, like years and years ago after the fact. I think that was at least like five or six years or something. I don't remember how long, but I didn't actually read through the entirety of the series starting from like the actual beginning of Dragon Ball and onward until like years later. So I've, I've read through the manga at least once. And like I said, I, I would like to do a reread of that at some point. But yeah, so like for years before that, like I was mostly familiar with Z. I wasn't really familiar with everything like before Z. So it was really interesting for me to like read a portion of Dragon Ball that involved Goku actually learning as a person and as a fighter and seeing him really lose most of the time. That was um that was a really interesting thing for me to see at the time because I wasn't really used to that at the time. But I, I thought it was a very welcome change from what I had seen up to then. So like most people i've watched the series mostly out of order because <laughs> you know nobody cares about dragon ball right but no yeah as far as like the original series that's it's pretty much how i got into that and then i don't really know like a dragon ball to me is like it ascends a franchise to me like dragon ball is just something that's just always been a part of my life so 
I think I'm very attached to it in that way that it's just it's just kind of always been there for me when I'm at my lowest. It's just something I can always kind of revisit. It's like having a best friend, you know, you know, like, or at least a friend like you don't hang out with like super often, but like you have times where like you can actually kind of hang out with them and it's like, man, we should hang out more often or something. I don't know. But <laughs> so, yeah, going into super. I guess I should start with Battle of Gods. Like, Battle of Gods was such a really exciting thing to experience, especially since, like, fun fact, I, I had waited so long for an official release of that movie. Like, I actively avoided, like, the fan subs that had come out. And, like, some of my other friends were like, I've already watched Battle of Gods for this fan sub or whatever. You should watch it. I'm like, no, I'm going to wait. And then I think literally a week before Funimation had announced that they licensed the movie, I had already watched it fan subbed at that point. Oh, so I was out. like, man, I'm so I know, I should have. <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, it's just as well. I didn't get to see it until it came out on, like, home video, because I missed my chance to see both Battle of Gods and Resurrection F in theaters. But, god damn it, I am going to see this super movie in theaters if it kills me, so. <laughs> but, yeah, so Battle of Gods and Resurrection F, while I definitely like one more than the other, I'll let you guess which one. You know, I still enjoyed both movies to some extent, and it was like, it was just nice to get new Dragon Ball stuff. Even before then, when we got, like, you know, stuff like Jack of the Galactic Patrol Man, that... You know, it wasn't confirmed it was a part of the Dragon Ball canon, but, uh, you know, it kind of was. Like, you kind of already knew it if you saw, you know, Shueisha being like, hey, this might have something to do with Dragon Ball. You should keep reading it. Chapter times were literally, like, DV minus whatever, if I remember correctly. Like, DV minus 10 leading down to 1. No, I, yeah, I think you're right. I read that, like, as I was writing in Weekly Shouldn't Jump, so it's it's been a while. But, no, yeah, it was it was nice to get, you know, more Dragon Ball, and then, obviously, once the announcement of Super came out, I was I was pretty much over the moon, like, man, I remember it being such a big deal at the time, like, you know, news outlets like Entertainment Weekly were reporting on it, like, every everybody was excited for it. And then, obviously, when it first started airing, you know, I was I was still excited, but, like... People started talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and, like... I'll admit, I watched it fan-subbed, you know, before it got licensed for Crunchyroll, so, like, I couldn't help myself. I still wanted to check it out, but I watched through both of those retelling arcs in full, and I mostly regret it, because, man, oof. Yeah, because, like, I was I was so excited for Super at first, and then just watching through those just kind of killed it for me for a little bit. So at that point, I was like, you know, I'll wait for these arcs to finish before I start watching them weekly, because, like, that was another thing, too, about my watching experience with Super is that I didn't like it enough to watch it week to week. I much preferred binging chunks of it in a row, and I think I got more out of Super watching it that way, personally. But I mean, you know, I'm vaguely aware of, like, a lot of people's reactions, especially through watching, like, the Tournament of Power and, like, how people felt about, like, certain portions of that. So it was kind of fun to, like, see people's reactions to that, like, not knowing what was going on. But you still got to live vicariously through them a little bit. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it was even more interesting to finally, like, see certain moments in context and be like, oh, so, so this is what people were bitching about. I see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of them in the uh, I'm sure, when you go through mm. that. But basically, to make a long story short, yeah, it's really hard to quantify how I feel about Super because, like Sid said, it is just it is just a roller coaster of quality. Some arcs are not that great, others are just so good. Like, I don't know. Super is definitely a roller coaster of a lot of things. Oh yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a fun roller coaster. I mean, roller coasters are fun. I mean, yeah. But they're also very scary. Yeah. And they do have low points. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. 
That's true. But at the end of the day... And they go upside down sometimes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so Sometimes you go through like three loop-de-loops at a time, like, and they make you sick. Sometimes you twist sideways. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> I'm trying to process where the symbolism goes into what this means for Dragon Ball at this point. Like a loop-de-loop for Dragon Ball's quality. I'm like, that must have been where the episode started off bad but then it it looped around and got great by the end sometimes just like huge chunks of the track are missing so it has to kind of like vault over it oh yeah <laughs> but at the end of the day you walk out of it feeling huh you know i enjoyed that that was a, that was a good experience for all the good today i i i do not regret watching it i guess i should say so i think that should count for something mm-hmm. and i guess i'm last year to go over my experience with Dragon Ball, which I will try and do very briefly because I could go on because Dragon Ball is also very important to my life. I would consider it the single most like defined work of fiction that has defined me or influenced me as a person because my interest in anime, manga, animation are just a lot of things were inspired by my love of Dragon Ball. Uh, so... You know, it has always been a very important franchise to me. It's always been something that I've been deeply in love with. I would always regularly, routinely come back to. Unlike uh, the rest of you guys, I did not start with Dragon Ball Z. Uh, and I did not start with Dragon Ball. I started with Dragon Ball GT. Bravo. Wow. <laughs> the first episode of the of the Dragon Ball franchise ever watched in full was episode 40 of GT, uh, which is the end of the baby arc where Piccolo sacrificed himself for reasons. But, uh, you know, at the time, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. This character, like, let himself die on this exploding planet. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll watch this. There's something interesting here. But I kind of fell out of it. But then I came back, like, during, like, the fourth to last episode of the series when, like, a Dragon Ball was, like, popping out of Goku's forehead. I was like, whoa, what's, what's so happening here? So then I tuned into the next episode. And then after that, it went, like, the final episode, I was like, I, I really got into this and it's over. I really missed out. And I was super bummed, super sad. I literally cried for two days uh, until I, re- <laughs> I checked the Cartoon Network schedule and realized that, oh, there's these things called the Lost Episodes that are airing. Oh, yay, there are still new episodes for me to watch. And then from there, I just continued like going all over and trying to watch anything related to Dragon Ball that I can. I did not care about watching anything in order. I just wanted to consume more Dragon Ball. So I would get VHS tapes from the library. I would catch whatever reruns were airing in Cartoon Network. I uh, picked up the manga. The first manga volume I ever read and I ever bought was uh, Dragon Ball Z Volume 18, which is, of course, when Gohan becomes Super Saiyan 2. Uh, So that was, like, a really important experience for me because that's, like, the first time I ever read a manga. And, you know, the material in that is so strong, too. And, like, you know, from there I got into more manga, but I specifically just fell in love with Akira Toriyama's art and how he tells the stories through his, you know, mastery of paneling, the simplicity of how he lays out a page and how much communicates through his line art. It was just, like, that really enthralled me. And also his sense of humor, both in Dragon Ball and in Dr. Slump that really appealed to me and that, like, I definitely modeled a lot of the comics I made as a kid, like, after that sense of humor. So Dragon Ball and, you know, Akira Toriyama's work in general, like, is super important to me and, like, influencing me and, like, what my interests are as, like, an artist and a writer, but also, of course, you know, with my creative interests as well in terms of, like, 
what entertainment I like most. I totally wrote like a Dr. Slump knockoff comic as a kid. <laughs> uh, literally, one of my characters was just Dr. Mashirito. He literally had the same hair as him. Of course, with Battle of Gods, like anything Dragon Ball at all was like going to extremely excite me. Like even Kai, even though that was just a recut of Dragon Ball Z, I was like, the new dub makes this like a new watching experience. And that's super cool. Of course, I was super excited for Battle of Gods. Uh, Unlike Colton, I did somehow resist the temptation to watch uh, unofficial subs until the movie came out in theaters. And, you know, that was an amazing experience to be able to see a Dragon Ball movie in theaters and, you know, something new from Dragon Ball for in general, like it felt like such a big deal. And if that movie felt so meaningful in terms of like, like how expanded universe and like what Goku felt as he had to, you know, become Super Saiyan God, but like he didn't feel like it was his own power he was using. So I really liked what they were doing with the characters and that. And, you know, that felt really mm-hmm. special. Uh, and then unlike you guys, I was also extremely happy with Resurrection F when it came out because the theater experience I had was really good. Uh, it was a full theater. It was at my local theater. So I didn't have to drive for, you know, an hour to find a theater. It was, like, in the mall that's, like, five minutes away from me. So I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And it was a full theater, and everyone was laughing. Like, it was just a good time. Uh, So I was really happy with that. But, of course, you know, by the time that was out in theaters, Super had already started. So, like, I had both of those things that I was really looking forward to, Super and seeing Resurrection F in theaters. And I I watched Super from the beginning when it didn't have official subs with the unofficial subs. And, yeah, those are early episodes I was really just watching because it was Dragon Ball uh, for the most part because they didn't retell the the movies in a very uh, interesting way it was just like oh let's let's pad this out they didn't really add anything new to it, it they just made it longer so I wasn't really too keen on that the best parts tended to be like some comedy sketches and some one-offs like Mr. Satan like fighting some cat aliens because they think he defeated Beerus uh, so that was good, but I was not happy with that. But then once Universe Universe 6 tournament started, then it was like, okay, this is new stuff. They're going to have Piccolo and Boo fight in this, uh, even though that didn't turn out, you know, quite how I wanted. But, like, in the end, the Universe 6 tournament kind of, you know, restored my hope in Super as a series and as a continuation of the Dragon Ball story. And then from there, like, Future Trunks and Unifer- the Universe Survival arc were just... You know, a great time to watch through. And I pretty much, you know, stuck with keeping up with it week to week. And I was very happy once it got officially subbed and more people could join on the conversation. Yeah, so when it ended, like, I was just super uh, happy about it. Just overall, like, the idea of, of Dragon Ball continuing, which, you know, there's always pros and cons to continuing a story after the original author is done with it. But, you know, I, I have to say that I like where the Dragon Ball community is after Super because so many new people have, like, started, like, building immunity out of Dragon Ball, like, on YouTube and stuff. And that's really interesting to see. And, like, of course, we got guys like Anime AJ talking about the production, which is extremely valuable. So I really like the conversation that new Dragon Ball, you know, uh, inspires. And I like the community that it brings together. So I'm very happy with the state of the franchise right now. And looking forward to seeing where it goes next. But I am also extremely excited to continue talking about Super. Because as we wait for new stuff on the horizon, like, I think there's just so much to unpack in Super in terms of, like, what it did well, what it might have uh, faltered a little bit on it, but where they could improve on going forward. And I think we should just start talking about the series itself. 
Uh, we'll probably just skim through like the beginning a little bit. I think we can all kind of agree that the those first two arcs uh, of Super, the re- movie retellings, were not particularly strong. I mean, the Battle of Gods retelling in particular, like I think it's just useless. It doesn't add anything to the Battle of Gods story. It doesn't really add anything to Super other than, oh, hey, we gotta, let's reanimate and retell Battle of Gods for the people who didn't watch Battle of Gods, even though you could just go out and buy Battle of Gods and watch this movie in two hours as opposed to roughly six to seven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there was that. I did not care for that retelling at all. Again, like you said, Sid, I basically only watch it because it's like, I'll watch new Dragon Ball stuff because I just will. It's Dragon Ball. I'm not going to like hate (laughs) it, but you know, I don't know. It didn't really add anything to my experience with Super other than making me question, man, was this the thing I was uh, was excited for? (laughs) I actually think the Resurrection F retelling, I personally, and I feel like most people would disagree with me on this because I don't hate the Resurrection F movie. I still like it, but like personally, I just prefer Battle of God more as a story, I guess. Whereas, you know, Resurrection F was kind of a return to form for, like, what most people just kind of assume Dragon Ball Z is, and it's just, look at these cool fights, and, you know, that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's like, you know, hey, it's, we get to see Frieza again, and that's cool. Like, you know, as much as people seem to think, oh, they're just milking Frieza for all he's worth, Mm, they're just bringing him back because people like him. But, you know, I still like Frieza. I still think he's a really fun, great villain, and... I don't care how many times they bring him back. I just, I love seeing him in general, especially. I think he had a lot of great moments in the Tournament of Power, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. You know what's interesting is that before Resurrection F, like, I didn't really have strong feelings towards Frieza like I kind of do now. Because, like, Frieza was always Hmm. a good villain in my mind, but, like, I did not like him nearly as much as I liked Cell or Boo or a lot of other villains. He wasn't, like, someone who was, like, always... Omnipresent in my mind, it's, okay, this guy was the definitive Dragon Ball villain. I always thought he was kind of overrated. But honestly, after Resurrection F, I kind of appreciate it more because I kind of understand, like, what's so good about Frieza is that, like, he has so much extremes in him that you can play with because he can be both legitimately threatening, but also you can do some really great comedy with him. But it still works. It still feels like it's the same character. And you're not, like, making him feel like less of a threat just because you're doing humor with him. Because the thing with Frieza is, like, he's this spoiled brat, you know, whose most menacing quality is the fact that he's so merciless and cruel. And that's what makes him so He's kind of like Aku in that sense. Yeah, pretty much. I think that's a good comparison. So, what I liked Mm. about Resurrection F is just how, how much good humor they milked out of him. And Chris Ayers in the dub just did such a great job Mm -hmm. with that humor. Oh, yeah. I just love how full of himself he was, even though it doesn't have much tension. Like, it never feels like, okay, Frieza is like a convincingly menacing threat for Goku and Vegeta. But it didn't really matter to me because I just liked Frieza, like, making an ass of himself. And I liked how over the top he was and, like, pathetic he could be. He could be, like, the boss man in charge, but he was still, like, there's this pathetic air to him that was just still, like, incredibly endearing. He's so charismatic, but he's also, like, really petty at the same time. And I I love how his character kind of mixes both of those aspects. But I guess just to real quickly about how I felt about the Resurrection F arc, as far as what they did with the material, I actually kind of preferred the retelling almost, just because they actually tried different elements with the retelling, such as, you know, bringing Ginyu into the mix, even though he, you know, he's ultimately killed off, so... 
You know, it was kind of nice to see him again, even though they didn't really do much with him, but whatever. Just stuff like that, and I remember Tagama kind of taking a more active role a little bit, and then, you know, just stuff like, I know we've talked about this off mic before, but personally, I really like what they did with Gohan in that retelling arc, where it's like, it's kind of the start of this really interesting kind of like, probably not the right word, but sort of a character redemption, almost, where it's like, Gohan kind of realizes, oh, yeah, like, I've really let myself go, and, you know, I have a family now, but, like, I should really focus on getting stronger so that I can protect them when, you know, every once in a blue moon, like, our planet is actually threatened. Like, I kind of like the little reality check he kind of goes through. I mean, I don't know, just something about him just being completely decimated by Frieza really kind of actually tugged at my heartstrings a bit. Like, I actually thought that was probably the most emotional bit in the retelling. You know, so some of that stuff I found really interesting, but, you know, the retelling art just kind of gets to the point where it's like, okay, now we're going to get to the Goku and Frieza stuff, and <sighs> it looks terrible. Episode like 25. It's, Ooh, boy. Like, some of that stuff, I would say, is the worst part about Super, honestly. Yeah, episode 25 is right. definitely the worst-looking episode of Super. Like, it is really sloppy, in terms of the art direction, uh-huh. the animation, it, yeah, it, it takes, like, what was already a weak arc and just, like, plummets it down. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Super had such bad production troubles early on because it was really rushed into production to capitalize on Resurrection F. So they gave the staff less than half of what would be uh, n- normally allowed for, like, good prep time for a new show. And it really shows in how, you know, messy those early episodes were. And, you know, even though they were adapting, like, an existing story told in Battle God's Resurrection F, like, the staff just did not have enough time to, like, really polish up anything that they were doing. So they really had to rush out their work. And it was really Yeah, ashamed. it's unfortunate. I was going to say, it really hurt the reputation of the show for a while. Yeah, episode 5, like, people made so many memes out of that goku Beerus fight and, like, how off-model... Well, it's not so much it was off-model, but it was poorly drawn, so much of that fight was. So much of the look of the characters, and also the animation itself was just extremely choppy. It definitely set a bad reputation for the show, even for people who were, like, not watching it, and they were like, oh... This is just Toei. They're, they're just so cheap. But it's not the fact that Toei is, like, a bad studio. Toei can be a really great, capable studio when they have their act together. It's just that there were specific production troubles that led to the early Super episodes being as poor as they were in execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was told specifically to avoid even watching the early arcs of Dragon Ball after having seen the Battle of the Gods. Because it was just like, yeah, it's the same stuff, just adds nothing new to it. It's just sort of a, yeah. a rehashing of it that you're just wasting your time if you've already seen the movies at this point. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would recommend people just to watch the movies instead of those arcs. The yeah. only thing that I think that the movie does, and this is going back into what you like, uh, I mean, what the series does, and this is going back to what you, uh, Colton said was a, uh, one of the highlights of the Resurrection F arc in the anime, is that what they do with Gohan in terms of redeeming his character, or at least giving him an arc that they follow through upon in the rest of Super. It was the beginning of an arc that I was legitimately interested in seeing how it would turn out. Yeah, they took a weakness of the film, which didn't really make sense and still doesn't in super that gohan let himself go and had and because he hadn't been training he 
didn't know how to access his full power anymore and could only go Super Saiyan. So they took, like, something that was, like, a weakness that didn't really seem to have much of a point to it in the film. And then they, like, expanded on it in a satisfying way in terms of, like, what they did with Gohan and then how that kind of ended up. It still doesn't, to me makes sense why Gohan would regress so much between the end of the Boo Saga and what happens in Resurrection F, but, you know, at least they make something out of it. So that is one positive I can give the art. But Mm -hmm. I feel like everything else that they add, they just don't do anything with it. Uh, Then they waste ideas like the Ginyu thing. Like, I like Captain Ginyu a lot. I, I thought the gag in the anime that he's still around as a frog on Earth is great. I was very excited with the Resurrection F art in the anime that they were teasing that Ginyu was going to be involved. But it came at the cost of something else that they were doing, which was building up Tagoma as more of a character. Which I thought was working out to be effective because it was showing the consequences of, like, how ruthless and cruel Frieza is. And it changes Tagoma also into be a sadistic sociopath. And I thought that was a mm-hmm. cruel idea. But then Ginyu takes his body and then Ginyu fights them for a bit. But then he gets clowned by Gotenks, and then Vegeta comes and he just kills him. And it's like, okay, I guess what they really wanted to do was have Vegeta kill every member of the Ginyu Force, finally. I guess that's what they wanted. It didn't really seem to accomplish anything, though. I feel like it would have way better if they just kept to Goma, because they were doing something interesting with that. I would have rather they kept Ginyu as this gag character in the background of episodes than kill him off. But, damn, uh, Chris, do you have, like, any straight thoughts on uh, the Battle of Gods Resurrection F arcs? Uh, I mean, what I assume that they were at least trying to do a little bit was, you know, they wanted Super to feel like a cohesive continuation of, of Z. Mm-hmm. That's why it made some sense that they remade those movies because those movies were like the next step in the story. But there's not that fun to watch. And Resurrection F is still probably like my least favorite official Dragon Ball thing like ever. Hmm. You're not alone in that. I know several people who feel the same way. But yeah, I mean, especially since Super started airing the week after they finished Kai Buu Saga. I think they definitely want to be like, oh, you're still watching the same story. It's just like a picks up directly where the last episode left off. Well, not exactly directly, because they still cover Oob and Kai. I don't really mind the reason why they did it, but, like, did it really have to be, like... That long, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. did each arc have to be, like, 14 episodes long? Like, I don't know. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, the branding method of saying, hey, you like Dragon Ball? Because, obviously, this is also trying to keep Dragon Ball in the social consciousness, you know, decades after Z has kind of finished its course... You're going to get new people who are going to be watching these things, maybe discovering Z and then deciding to go through. So even though the movies are there and they do things in a more concise manner, it makes sense that Super tells the entire story all the way through. So somebody doesn't have to find out like, oh, hey, I started this this new series and apparently I missed two movies worth of content. There's a cat dude now. What's up with that? You know, like you don't have people confused in that way. And there's a blue guy that should basically have his own food blog. Like, I'm lost. <laughs> I don't get it. Why is Goku's hair blue now? None of this makes sense, you know? (laughs) So I understand why they have to do that. And as for why it tends to be that long, it may have been almost a contractual thing or something like that. I I go into this as somebody, you know, full disclosure, who has no knowledge of Dragon Ball's behind the scenes or even particularly a lot about Dragon Ball. So take this as somebody who's just a casual observer kind of noting their thoughts. But I assume maybe it just had to play into the idea of, hey, since all this stuff coming after super was going to be original content maybe they needed those 
lapses of stuff that's already officially done to, for them to just kind of rehash to work out new character designs, new plot ideas or things to go on that nature. I understand how it can be frustrating, but I think this is something that the Dragon Ball Universe canon might be able to appreciate more decades from now. Where if somebody wants to watch the, you know, the whole Dragon Ball, they could just, you know, smoothly kind of do it from jumping from one series to the other. Mm-hmm. Whereas it gets more confusing. It's almost like an event comic book at one point. If you're like, well, to understand what's happening here, you need to make sure you saw this thing and then see this thing. It's easier to just be like, well, once you're done Z, just watch Super or whatever. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. that's all pretty likely. But I mean, I, I totally get how it's it's also frustrating because, you know, it's just one of those things that unless you're somebody who's, because I, I don't. I, I never cared for Frieza that much. As I said, I, I came into Dragon Ball after Frieza was done, so I don't particularly have, like, the nostalgia form or anything like that. So I, I've still not seen Resurrection F. I've caught the gist of what it's all about, but I just have no real interest because as an outsider, it just looks like a movie that's not particularly for me. It looked like it was more of a kind of a celebration of, like, that Frieza-Goku rivalry that kind of so much of people's love of the franchise is founded on. And mm. I was just like, well, I don't have that. So I'm not really going to worry too much about this. And again, there's, you know, you can Wikipedia up what happens in the story if you need to. So that's kind (laughs) of just what I did. I'm legitimately interested in like what somebody who hasn't seen either movie would think about these arcs just in a vacuum. They definitely would have to have the same kind of concerns that we have of like, why does the animation get so kind of strange at points? Why do things tend to drag on so much? Although I wonder if people would worry about them dragging on so much when that's kind of a main criticism of Dragon Ball as a whole is that it oftentimes tends to stretch itself off a particularly exaggerated amount. I think that's mm. always just been a weakness of the anime. Like back when Z and Dragon Ball were airing, the manga was ongoing and they were only so many chapters behind, so they had to stretch out like a 15-page chapter to a 22-minute episode. Mm. Or in some cases, just a couple of panels, yeah. from what I hear. Oh yeah, there, was, there were literally <laughs> episodes that were based off just a few panels from manga chapter. So they really were stretching material thin back in the day. And those chapters were not particularly dense either. Oh no. <laughs> so I feel like with Super, like I, I think that even though the reputation of his Dragon Ball Z is that it's so prolonged. I feel like while some people might say, oh, well, this is just a Dragon Ball experience. I feel like a lot of people who like don't appreciate that aspect of Dragon Ball Z will be turned off by the fact that stuff in Super takes a long time, especially in those early episodes where it feels like a lot of what's happening in an episode is filler because it, it seems like a bunch of sketches and then the main point happens like at some point in the second half of the episode but otherwise it feels like well we could have really gotten the point of this a lot faster Mm -hmm. yeah overall those two arcs they were a thing they were kind of necessary i guess but uh, i think we should move on to like the rest of super though yeah the universe six arc honestly is where super really begins for me and i think a lot of people because That is where the new content comes in. That's where they really open up the universe by introducing the Universe 6 characters. And the structure of this arc is really simple in the sense that it's a straightforward tournament. It's a 5 versus 5. They just fight characters from Universe 6. But a lot of the characters from Universe 6 are fun. Uh, Mostly Hit and Kaba. But overall, I think it was just a nice look into, okay, here's some cool characters from another universe and we can expect that you know there are these 12 universes there are more guys out there like these who can challenge our heroes and that's kind of nice 
Mm. I mean, I was disappointed in the arc uh, at the beginning because, of course, they kind of shaft Boo and Piccolo, which is a, a recurring thing in, in Super, it seems. Boo does not get a whole lot to do, especially. But they do some good stuff with Vegeta, who is probably the MVP of the arc because he gets the most fights and he has that really nice uh, relationship with Kaba that kind of develops in his fight where, you know, he sort of takes on a mentorship role to him and helps him tap into, you know, his power to help him become Super Saiyan. So that was very nice. And yeah, Goku versus Hit. That was probably the set of episodes that made me like feel like, yes, I am watching Dragon Ball. This is really exciting me now because when Goku uses Kaioken to power up Super Saiyan Blue. It was like, oh my god, this is like perfect, and it's great beam struggle between him and Hit. Hit was a cool antagonist. Uh, so I thought that ended off on a good note. Uh, overall, it was a fun arc. Uh, what were you guys' uh, opinions on it, just as a whole? I still have not seen all of it. Like, I've seen like the beginning and end of both this arc and the next one. <laughs> so, like, I don't have fully formed opinions. That did seem to be a trend where, like, you get the recap arcs out of the way and then each successive arc after that is like a notable step up from the one before mm -hmm. so like the universe six arc it is more interesting and it is more kind of worth your time than the recap movies are or than the recap arcs are definitely mm -hmm. but that's kind of all i can really say about it mm. yeah i mean I, I thought it was definitely a step up because hey again it's new material but i thought it was mostly all right it, again like you said said narratively it's pretty simple and you know m most of the fights i wasn't really like that into i think the fight i was the most invested in was probably vegeta versus kaba i thought it was interesting to see vegeta sort of take on a protege i just really kind of liked the dynamic between those two i really liked that idea and i really wanted to see it going forward and kaba just in general i thought was just a nice character to have around it was interesting to see a different take on the saiyan race seeing all these different saiyans from like universe six throughout the rest of the series them not being like as muscular as the saiyans we've come to know and having them like be like either short or really skinny like i just some of those ideas i thought were really interesting but for the most part i, I just kind of thought the arc was okay but I still liked it enough. Mm -hmm. I'm still sad those Universe 6 hands don't have tails, though. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting, to say the least. He's, Toriyama just really does not want to draw Saiyans with tails anymore. Even in a series, like, he's not involved in as much. He doesn't have to draw anything for it. <sighs> but that's an extra thing for him to draw. <laughs> I mean, the original Goku from before publication wasn't even going to have a tail. They're just like, yeah, it's not interesting enough. Just slap a tail on him. <laughs> It's a real shame because Goku in original Dragon Ball could use that tail to a lot of fun effect in his fights. So, you know, you could do stuff with the tail that adds an interesting element to it. But I guess they're just not interested in that aspect. I wonder if they can still transform into great apes even without the tail, though. Uh, that's something they may sure explore at some point in the next series. But, yeah. Chris, have you seen the Universe 6 arc? Do you have any thoughts on it i've seen bits of it in terms of either watching small chunks of it or having it explained to me uh, as i mentioned i kind of came into super with my D, D group talking about it a lot mm -hmm. so as the universe of power arc was coming on i would ask my friend kind of a lot about what was sort of happening because there was a while where i was just like wait there's other universes <laughs> i had to have that whole concept explained to me and of course i just kept asking i was like does gohan do anything cool during it <laughs> And then I had to be told, like, no, Gohan never does anything cool. Stop dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> Just give, give it up. So I've 
not seen the whole of it, and that goes for the next arc as well. It's one of those things where kind of like how I got into Z by starting with Cell, and then at some point I'll kind of go back and digest the rest of it. Uh, I kind of came into it as it sort of interests me, and the rest of it I kind of absorbed through osmosis or reading wikis or stuff like that after the fact, just so I could kind of get myself caught up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like how I tend to get into like a long-running thing that I just start in the middle of too. But what is your impression of the Universe 6 characters, even though you didn't see the introduction arc? Just in general, what do you think of the Universe 6 characters? I do love that the way they take Universe 6 is because it's sort of the the sister universe of, of Universe 7. They can take these concepts that kind of we already have an existing impression of and then twist it. So, you know, we have... Uh, I forget the name of the Frieza's race. Do they actually have a name, or are they just called Frieza's race? They don't have a name. They're called mutants, I think, at some point in the original manga, but... I want to say I played one of the Xenoverse games, and they just called them, like, you could be, like, a Saiyan, an android, a Frieza (laughs) race, or something like that. But I do like how, you know, we have an established idea of what that race is kind of like when it comes to, to Frieza, and then you see Frost, who's... Very much not like a, a an omnipotently powerful being. He's a coward. He's, you know, a trickster. He's like, he's still an evil person, how we kind of assume Frieza is, but he's much more on the conniving, sinister kind of scale, whereas Frieza is this overlord. And as you mentioned, where we have Saiyans, and now we're, we're getting them in completely different physiques and things like that. It, it's a very imaginative sort of thing to take what we know from the Dragon Ball universe and what that sort of means and put a new spin on to create this new sort of idea on like hey what would an alternate world of universe 7 kind of look like it's just kind of fun to see the ideas that came out of that Mm -hmm. and i like the contrast that they make between the universe 7 universe 6 saiyans and their histories and how the universe 6 saiyans are more of a peaceful race and kaba himself is like a protector kind of character he's like like the saiyans are like peace fighters in universe six where as in universe seven they were marauders they were invaders who conquered planets i really like the contrast that they make there i don't know if they really went far with it with the universe six namekians later they seem pretty similar but Definitely the the contrast between Freeze and Frost and how Frost is more of a manipulative character, a character who kind of hides his uh, motives, what his real personality is, like, especially in the, when we first see him in the Universe 6 tournament, where he's like, he's built up this reputation of being this great beneficiary of, of this, like, person who's made these great strides to help Universe 6 and end wars and stuff, but in reality, he was the one who started those wars to profit off of them. So we kind of learned that, oh, these guys are kind of similar after all in that sense, except Frieza does not make any pretenses about himself. Frieza is pretty honest about who he is, but Frost is a liar. He's less confident in like laying his evil machinations bare than Frieza is. See, see, that's really interesting. I never really like thought about it like that because for the longest time I was kind of disappointed in Frost because it just kind of seemed like, oh, he's not actually bad. He's good. Oh, he's bad. I guess he's just another Frieza. <laughs> but um, that's actually a pretty subtle difference in their character. I never really thought about it like that. I do think it would have been cool if Frost did actually turn out to be this actually noble person that he was initially presented as. But in the end, they did make good use of the contrast between Frieza and Frost, I feel, in the tournament, when we kind of have them to get working together, and, like, you can see, okay, so 
this is why Frieza is way cooler than Frost, because Frost is such a coward. He's more sneaky. He's just, he's just not someone who projects, like, menace. So he fights mm-hmm. by playing dirty. Yeah, pretty much. But I think we'll move on to the Goku Black arc or Future Trunks arc, whichever you want to call it. Can I just say before that, I do just want to say I, I think the Slice of Life kind of episodes of Super are probably some of the best episodes in the series, in my opinion. Yeah, I could agree with that. <laughs> Especially the one right after the Universe 6 tournament and before the Goku Black arc, where it's like, I forget which episode it is, but it's it's the one with Monaka and where Beerus ends up in a giant Monaka suit having to fight Goku. Goku because Beerus tries to play this long game with Goku, basically try to like make this random alien guy make him look stronger than he actually is, but it turns out he's just a normal guy. He has a delivery job. He you know, he's a he's a normal working Joe, just like you or me, you know? He's just a normal guy. And I really love that episode so much. That's actually probably my favorite episode in Super. Really? Well, it is a really funny episode. It's the kind of comedy I would expect from Dragon Ball, I feel like. I don't know. It's just, it makes use of some of the irrelevant characters at this point. You know, with Par and Yamcha. Obviously, Yamcha would be the one to, like, screw everything up at the end, which I thought was great. <laughs> oh, Yamcha and Super. Yeah, they really push Yamcha as a joke character in Super. Because they know. They know what his reputation is like amongst the fandom at this point. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel... I have two minds about it, because on one hand, it doesn't feel, like, genuine, in a sense, because... No, I, I totally agree. Yamcha. Like, Yamcha is not a... You know, he's still their friend and stuff. And he's not, like, a stupid character either. But in Super, they make him the butt of a joke, and no one seems to respect him. When he's, like, imagining that Goku will invite him to the Tournament of Power, and he's, like, preparing, like, what his response is going to be. Like, if he'll play it cool at first, or, like, if he'll refuse it at first, and willing to, like, turn it up to accept when Goku assists. Like, you see Oolong and Poir just watching him, like, being, dude, what the heck are you doing? There's a lot of jokes in Yamcha's expense that I feel are a little mean-spirited in a way that feels antithetical to, like, how Toriyama wrote him, but at the same time, Toriyama didn't write him very well, in the sense that he made him the butt monkey of the series, like, he made him the jobber in almost every arc, because he would always be the first one to lose or die in anything, like, except for the first arc, but even then, like, he was never exceptional in the first arc. Yeah, I mean, like... I'm of two minds about that, too, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little later, but, like, if there's anything that, like, I did it, that I actively did it like about the Tournament of Power arc in particular, aside from, like, one other thing that, again, we'll get to later, but, yeah, I don't know. At first, I thought some of those jokes with Yamcha were kind of funny, but, like, then it just kind of kept going, and it just got to a point where it's, like... You know he's not going to get accepted. You just kind of feel sorry for him at one point. It's not even funny anymore at one point. It's like, can we just stop? Like, I love Yamcha because he's the worst, but, like, they kind of take that and run with it a little bit to the point where it just just kind of becomes a little hard to watch at some points. Don't get me wrong. I found most of the scenes funny. I just feel they are really flanderizing this character here. I think that's a constant, like, subject of discussion that gets brought up with Super in terms of characters, especially with Goku, which... Again, I'm sure we could go on about that later, but Mm -hmm. that's a common complaint that I see with Super is, wow, they really just take, like, one trait of the character and, like, really just kind of run with it. I mean, granted, it's not like that with all the characters, but Yamcha and Goku and I guess everyone else is fine. I can't really think. Well, 
maybe Roshi, I guess, uh, <laughs> to an extent. But yeah, I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I just felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least, you know, give prop to the more kind of one-off episodes and mini arcs in Super, because most of those are pretty fun, too. Yeah, there are a lot of good ones. I mean, on the subject of Yamcha, I do think the baseball episode was one of my favorite ones. No, that one's good, too. That one, I remember seeing a lot of people talk about when it premiered, and it definitely lived up to its hype. Mm -hmm. I definitely enjoyed that episode. Yamcha, though, that poor dope. But let's get back to talking about uh, the arcs here with uh, the Future Trunks arc, which that definitely piqued most people's interest, both in the Western fandom and in Japan. Why is Trunks' hair blue? Yeah, they never explain it. <laughs> it. Like, that's just... That, Kid that, Trunks' that was... hair is purple. Yeah. <laughs> Look, like, that, that that's a thing that, like, you know, I get it. Like, that's a very glaring, like, why is this thing like that? But, like, at some point, you just gotta be like, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does it really hinder your enjoyment of Super? If it does, then maybe you shouldn't watch it. I just know that somebody had to make that choice. They had to be like, let's just make Trunks' hair blue this time. And I want to know the reason It's is. because Toriyama drew him like that with blue hair, and so they just went with it. I guess so, yeah. I don't know why they didn't just consult Toriyama and say, why is his hair blue? In the anime, we made it purple. Or they just kept it consistent themselves. I don't know why they had to be slavish to the Toriyama's design. When they changed Bulma's hair but color. But then Kid Trunks is purple still. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, so that's weird. that just makes it even more glaring. I feel like that's a really funny parallel in that, like, because, you know, that was a whole thing, too, where, like, right. you know, Toriyama drew Bulma with purple hair, but in the anime, they kind of made it blue for whatever reason, because I don't think Toriyama really cares about what colors his characters are. I think both Bulma and Trunks's hair, like, whenever Toriyama would color them for the manga, like, it would it would vary sometimes. Like, both of them would swap between blue and purple, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a callback to that fun fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like son, like mother, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just weird, but whatever. Well, there's a lot of callbacks in Super. It's built on references to the original. Uh, like, even in this arc, having future Trunks come back, you know, you can look at it and see, like, yeah, oh, let's bring back this popular character and make an arc about him. And it's telling that it wasn't Toriyama's original idea to make the arc. Like, Toei and Shueisha kind of approached him saying, hey... You should do this story idea. Would you make a draft outline of a story about this? And so Toriyama was like, oh, okay, why not? Because Toriyama's original plan was they would go to the Universe Survival Arc right after the Universe 6 tournament. So, hmm. I mean, I'm glad they had an arc in between because two tournaments in a row would have been a little, you know, repetitive. And the Future Trunks arc yeah. is really good, and it did do its job in, like, getting people back into Super in a big way. Because that first episode, it starts off on a really strong, dark note, where you see Future Trunks' future. It is all messed up, and Bulma dies at the end of the episode, and you're like, Oh my god, things are awful for Trunks right now. What is happening? Who is Goku Black? What is going on? And so the mystery element of that arc was very compelling, and it carries through for the entire thing, pretty much. Whether, like, the twists and turns are, like, convoluted or make sense, it can be up for debate. Like, the time travel thing in Dragon Ball has always been very confusing, and having alternate universes be on top of that you know, it, it definitely confuses, like, okay, like, how many alternate realities are there now? And it, it's kind of weird that at the end, like, Whis, like, decides to, like, uh, go to the future again to warn Beerus in the future about Zanasu so he'd kill him then. And then 
their trunks will go to that future and there will be two trunks and two buys. It's like, okay, that's odd, but you gotta accept that and roll with it. But the re- like the experience of going through that arc and uncovering that mystery of who Goku Black is, what the deal with Zamasu is, and Future Trunks' own arc of becoming stronger and like being able to protect the future by himself or like be the one to protect his future was very compelling. So I enjoyed that a lot. Mm, yeah, I, I thought overall the Future Trunks arc was pretty good. I think narratively speaking, it's probably the most interesting arc in Super. And probably, actually, I would say while I was watching it, I thought it was one of the most like narratively interesting arcs as far as just Dragon Ball goes. I thought it really had a lot of interesting ideas. I really like how the Kais were kind of involved just in general, because like, I hate to admit it, I'm actually going through some of my tweets from uh, last year when I marathoned through the whole arc. It's almost been a year since I've seen this arc. But I remember making a comment about how Dragon Ball Super is good because one of the Kais actually acknowledges that they don't ever do anything. (laughs) Because, you know, I thought Zamazu was a really interesting villain in that he's always uh, constantly questioning, like, the morality of humans and whether it's worth, like, actually, you know, watching over them or whatnot. And I thought there was some really interesting, like, philosophy almost for Dragon Ball to kind of delve into, even though it was still pretty simplistic in its exploration of those themes, I guess. But it was just interesting to see a series like Dragon Ball that's usually pretty straightforward with its writing and whatnot to just kind of delve into these ideas in general. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, they got, like, kind of weirdly complicated at times with all the time travel and, like, multiple dimensions. And I remember having a hard time following that at some points. Because, you know, D- Dragon Ball's time travel is kind of interesting in that, like, you know... It's whatever w- it needs it to be at. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's kind of interesting that, like, they go with this idea that, like, oh, just because you go back in time and, like, fix this one thing doesn't mean that timeline is fixed. You basically just make another timeline, I guess. I don't know. Back to the Future 2 rules as opposed to Back to the Future 1 rules. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. I feel bad because, like, since it's been a while since I've, like, actually watched this arc and, like, you know, sometimes I catch an episode or two with my roommate or whatever because it's currently running on Toonami right now. Yeah, so I kind of catch an episode or two with him every once in a while because he keeps up with the dub mostly. And it's kind of interesting for me to, like, catch an episode or two and, like, basically refresh my memory on certain things that happen. Like, I think one of my favorite moments being that uh, my actual actually attempts to snipe out a god, which I don't know what the general consensus is on, like, I guess most of the female characters in Dragon Ball, but, like, I think something I really liked about Future Trunks was that it was nice to kind of see just normal human characters attempt to fight back Mm -hmm. and not just be completely slaughtered all the time. I thought that was a nice change of pace, even though, you know, they're mostly still ineffective. It's nice to see them do something, I guess. Yeah, I like seeing the human resistance, like just normal people resisting against Goku Black and trying to, you know, fight against him even when Trunks wasn't there and their efforts, you know, to keep civilians safe. I think that added a really, you know, for lack of a better word, human element to the arc that like, okay, this is what Trunks is protecting, but like he's not the only one fighting to protect you know, these people, they're all fighting to protect themselves. And, you know, it's ultimately the resolve of everyone to continue the fight for their survival that helps Trunks gain the strength to defeat Zamasu, like, in the end. Because they all somehow contribute their energy to power up Trunks. Which, I don't know, I don't know when Trunks learned that, but it happened, and it was cool. Yeah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. But the arc was very successful in, like 
you know, regaining people's interest in Super. Oh, definitely. And it also was a unique arc in terms of it wasn't quite a story Dragon Ball had done before because Dragon Ball had done tournaments before, but they hadn't really done an arc where that was really centered around this central mystery and all this, like, really playing into time travel in as heavy a way than, you know, the Cell arc did, which, you know, time travel was an element of that, but they didn't, like, go to the Trunks' future or anything, you know? It was like, Trunks and Cell came back from the future, but, like, you know, we never saw the future outside of the f- history of Trunks special and then, like, the final two chapters of the arc where we see Trunks defeat the androids and Cell in his future. So it's really mm-hmm. cool to see that aspect where we have, like, you know, characters going from the present to the future, then back to the present, and all of that stuff. And then also getting to see more of another universe with Universe 10 and Gloucester and Zamasu was also very valuable, I thought. Because, again, you're still continuing to expand the world and show stuff outside of Universe 7. I think it did uh, covered a lot of bases really well. But now we can talk about the arc that we've all seen. I'm sure we all have a lot to say about because it is so long and dense. And that is the Universe Survival Arc or the Tournament of Power, which was hyped up for months before it started. Like they had that downtime where it was like eight, nine episodes between the end of the Future Trunks arc and the beginning of Universe Survival and like the anticipation. That stretch of episodes. That stretch of episodes uh, building up to the tournament, that was that's like the hardest stretch of episodes I've ever had to review <laughs> for anything. Like, that was pain. That was hard. <laughs> oh, it's man. so boring. Really? <laughs> Most see- of it. Some of it's pretty good, but like, boy. I was re- rereading some of your reviews, and you were mostly positive on them at the time, I thought. No, we're not really breaking for a commercial, but in line with this podcast structural gimmicks, I thought it would be fun to include a break between the first two halves of the podcast like an actual Dragon Ball Super episode. Though while we're here, I would like to briefly promote some of our guests' other projects. Since we originally recorded this podcast back in May, and a lot has changed since then, an unfortunate consequence of this coming out so late. And speaking of late podcasts... Chris has recently resumed posting episodes of the Slooper Larios Brothers show after a long hiatus. And luckily, unlike Manga Maverick's ad movies, he's gotten through his backlog and has already been recording and posting new episodes. So definitely check that out. He's also on a new season of Dice Funk that I haven't gotten a chance to listen to yet, but I'm sure is as fun and funny an adventure as always. He also guested on Wensleydale's Cheddar's now defunct podcast Stammer's Dream shortly after we recorded our Dragon Ball Super podcast, where he discussed Dr. Stone and the promised neverland and believe it or not that podcast ran for even longer than this one did but nevertheless it's a discussion equally enjoyable and worth checking out as for sam you can always reliably find him as the anime recap host of the one piece podcast and ann's daily streaming reviewer for one piece and surprisingly the still running black clover he's also currently writing reviews of jojo's bizarre adventure golden wind for anime news network and i'm really enjoying reading them seeing what bits of the story he finds 
is golden and his overall thoughts coming into it with no prior experience with it. He also recorded a Bakuman podcast with Sam that we recorded and released in August that you should also check out, where he provides a more neutral and optimistic counterboy to our sour opinions on that series. I'll have more to say about why this podcast was like later on in the show. But for now, let's return to our Dragon Ball Super discussion as we enter into our thoughts on our main event, the Tournament of Power. I was hiding my truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's fair, but I mean, there were some points where, like, I think one of the biggest problems of this arc is that, like, you know, if you're not used to, like, like, if you're not used to anime time, then, like, this is really going to stretch your suspension of disbelief. Because, like, this arc has a lot of things where it's, like, at the end of every episode, the narrator will be like, oh, well, the, you, uh, the three more hours until the tournament starts in the next episode. Oh, uh, two hours and 59 minutes until the <laughs> tournament starts. Like, just a lot of that kind of bullshit that, like, I didn't really have a problem with because, like, I kind of knew what I was getting into. So, like, I was kind of prepared for that. But, like, say, this is sort of unrelated. I'm actually watching, uh, <laughs> I'm watching the, uh, uh, Chimera Ant arc of Hunter Hunter with another roommate of mine. And we're, we're in the stretch of episodes where, like, you know, time is obviously very stretched out, but, like, certain events don't take as long as, like, you're led to believe. So there was a point where, like, the narrator was like, oh, it's because I think we watched, like, five episodes or something. And the narrator goes, it's been three minutes since this stuff happened. And she was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> she she got really angry at that. And I'm like, man, you better you better never get in the Dragon Ball then because you'll deal with this almost constantly. <laughs> So it's like, I just find it interesting how people really, like, get up in arms about that kind of thing, and I'm just kind of like, whatever, it, it like, I could literally care less at this point. Like, like I said, I know what I'm getting into, but that's also not to invalidate people's feelings on that kind of thing, because it is ridiculous, but, you know. Yeah, I think it's kind of the fun time of ridiculous in the tournament, where, like, after every episode ends, it's like... There's 47 more minutes in the Tournament of Power, but then the next episode, like, if there's 46 more minutes in the like, every episode was a minute, and you're like, how did all of that happen in just one minute? Like, there was a point in, like, the, uh, in the recruitment stuff where, like, as the tournament got closer, I was like, Goku's gonna have, like, has he slept at all? Doesn't he need, like, rest? Because <laughs> he, he, he fights to sleep, man. That's how he functions. <laughs> He fights a bear in the woods, and that's his eight hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, compared to fighting um, people with the power of gods, like, I'm sure that is, like, super relaxing. That's what Goku does to, like, uh, chill out sometimes. He just goes out into the woods and fights some bears. Yeah. He needs to let off some steam. I actually enjoyed a lot of that stuff. I, I really like just seeing Goku just kind of get the team together and them kind of, like, just sort of you know, well, not wasting time, but like, I kind of like seeing how that all that stuff worked out. 
And even like a lot of the one-off episodes that came before it, like like we said, the baseball episode comes before that. The Doctor Slump episode's pretty good. Yeah. As someone who hasn't unfortunately read more than like maybe a few volumes of Doctor Slump, I I still really enjoyed that episode. And the episode with um with uh Goku trying to make a wish for uh, King Kai to come back to life, and everybody just being like, "But what about my wish, though? What about my wish?" Like that that kind of I, I really liked a lot of that kind of stuff. That stuff I thought was really enjoyable. I thought mm-hmm. the two parters. Before- before the arc officially started, were, like, the most valuable, like, episodes. I wouldn't call them filler, because I think those added to the story. Like, Goku's fight with mm-hmm. it. The Krillin episodes were pretty good. Yeah, like, that yeah. was good development for Krillin. Like, and even Gohan's episodes, where it's, like, it's, it doesn't really add to his development necessarily, but it's just really nice to see him have, like, these this cute little sitcom-y kind of episode where it's, like, he, he's in this movie, and, like, this other actor guy is like getting mad at him because he's upstaging him so he tries to blackmail him but like Videl is like no I don't I know my husband well enough that I know he's not cheating on me with someone else fuck you so it's like that was pretty great oh yeah those, those were good too now Sid I know you you are of the opinion that Boo does get shafted quite a lot in Super yes. which I do agree but I would also say I feel like I feel like Tien got kind of got the shit out of the stick or I'm sorry Tension Han yeah um, so <laughs> Still calling it TN, but TN's easier to say. Yeah, Genon's is actually yeah, like, exactly. Kudrin. Yeah, Kudrin, Acrylin. It's it's all the same. We can go whatever, whichever. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed because I was kind of looking forward to like seeing him the most because like you know I love TN. I think he's a great character. It took me a long time to see because you know I didn't get to the very like beginning of Dragon Ball. Like I didn't get to the pre Z stuff until like very later into my fandom. So. I didn't realize until a lot later that, oh, yeah, Tien is such a really interesting character. Like, I, I wish he had more to do. You know, so I was kind of excited to see him again. But, like, I really felt like his episodes weren't that great. Yeah. So, unfortunately. like, his recruitment episode wasn't a very good showing for him to start with. Because, like, the idea of the recruitment episode is, like, this old trained school student comes back to get revenge on him. So she brainwashes his students to cause havoc in the town. But like Tien ultimately isn't the one that stops the situation or gets to show off like what makes him such a unique uh, character, both in terms of his fighting abilities and also like just his mindset and personality. Because at the end of the day, it boils down to like Goku defeats a powered up mastered Roshi uh, and that's kind of it. And a lot of the episode, you know, is bogged down by some really bad uh moments where roshi is you know being like a real creep on urine is like oh my god those yeah, are just the like... worst like this has been a problem since even the original dragon ball days in the anime where they really exaggerate master roshi's perviness to uncomfortable levels and yeah. it's just you know master roshi is a perv but he's not gonna go out and like commit almost sexual assault on a person that's not his character but that's kind of what he almost does in this episode it's like super uncomfortable and upsetting it even got a complaint from like the japanese pta i think so it was like i it mean really understandable went over the line and that really bought yeah because like episode down. see I'm, I'm i'm a two minds of this because like one i do agree that like a lot of that stuff really just made me feel uncomfortable and really just kind of made me realize oh wow master roshi's shtick really doesn't hold up but i also didn't think about how yeah again this just goes back to the flanderization of characters with super where it's like yeah this some certain characters in super some of their 
character traits are like amped up to like 11 either for the sake of the story or for the sake of the joke mostly for the joke but yeah yeah so like it just it gets to a point where like Roshi's training is literally hey poir turn into a woman so i can basically get all my lust out and deal with that for the tournament it's like wow that's pretty terrible um yeah <laughs> like because you know you have yamcha and oolong who are like wow that's that's terrible and like I, that doesn't really make up for it, though. But, like, man, I'm I'm conflicted because I hate all that stuff. But I also think Roshi has some of the uh, best moments in the Tournament of Power. Oh, yeah. In the actual tournament itself, he's great. But, like, these comedic, pervy moments were just terrible. Yeah. In the recruitment arc, like, his whole thing is that, he, like, he's trying to remove himself of the perviness. Mm-hmm. And during the tournament, you're, like, you're kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop. You're kind of waiting, like, oh, it's going to get undone. He's going to, like, completely cross the line again. And then most of it kind of pans out, and, like, he's pretty chill throughout the whole tournament. Yeah. And it's like, oh, his training seems to kind of worked a little bit hmm. for the most part. I think he's like, slips, like, a little bit, but it's, like, never, like, super creepy or anything. Yeah. So that was yeah. Nice. Yeah, so that was good. But, but yeah, I don't know. I liked a lot of the prep stuff. I, I liked uh, seeing Goku finally, like actually interact with 17 and uh you know them kind of hanging out and protecting wildlife and whatnot and then um i really do think a lot of the frieza stuff right before the tournament is really good mm-hmm. um yeah. i was actually really surprised with because i don't i didn't really have much expectation for it i wasn't expecting frieza to just go like full thug like it was <laughs> pretty amazing just him taking out like so many of these like nameless minions and whatnot just like going hog wild it was great yeah, that was that was by far my favorite recruitment episode yeah. is the is the Goku versus Frieza like friendly sparring thing that they had going. When Baba summons Frieza and like Frieza like punches Goku immediately and says, Oh sorry, God, that my was hand good. Slipped. That was so good. Yeah, and then Goku like punches him back and he's like, Oh, sorry, my hand slipped too and they just kinda laugh at each other for a little bit. And I I adore like begrudged good guy Frieza. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love any, like, Ryusei Nikao character who, you like, you forced to be a good guy for a while. Like, that's that's my jam. Like, I spent that whole tournament being like, oh, man, I hope... I don't really play the whole, the whole like, oh, I hope uh, this character gets a moment or I hope this character gets development here. But I was, like, super, like, I hope Frieza gets something freaking cool. And, like, they kind of they kind of towed the line for a while. Like, they, they made me sweat. But, like, they really, that really pays off so well. Mm-hmm. Like, what were you guys' opinions of Frieza joining the U-17 in the first place and replacing Boo? Because a lot of people were conflicted on that before it happened. They were like... I was sad about Boo. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I loved Frieza. Yeah. So much. The entire concept of the Team 7 universe is, like, the idea of, like, all the strongest characters from Dragon Ball as we know it, like, on a team together. So it's, like, a bummer that Boo's gone, but, like, it would have been weird if it was nothing but a team of, like, super good friends for the most part. Like, it felt a lot more natural to be like, oh, yeah, we fought some crazy strong people in the past. We may need to rely on some of them if the sake of our entire reality is on the line. So when you get that, like, lineup that has, like, 17 in there after you haven't seen them do anything in a while, and then, you know, all these kind of old fan favorite characters or characters that haven't really done anything in Z and onward at this point, and then you have, like, Frieza standing next to him, it just, it gives that sense of, like, wow, this really is... Universe 7 having to do everything they can if they want to have a chance at surviving this tournament. Yeah. And that, that's the kind of feeling you want going into something this big. And I really feel that Frieza adds, like, 
such a special dynamic to the team because like he's not trustworthy like they can't trust him and they don't know what he's going to do in the tournament whether he'll help them or whether he'll undermine them for his own aims because Frieza is always looking out for just himself so you're always suspicious of oh is he looking for ways to just stab them in the back and get rid of them so he can be the last one standing like, you have that moment at the end of the first Goku and Jiren fight, where Goku is, like, all, like, drained of energy, and Frieza, like, takes him behind the pillar, and it's, like, aiming <laughs> a blast at him. He's like, oh, this reminds me back at the time of Namek. And you're like, uh-oh, what's, what's he gonna do? But then it's, like, such a clever callback, because it's, Frieza gives him energy, which is what Goku did on Namek. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, all, it's all coming back to me. Man, I love Frieza in this arc so much. <laughs> I'm feeling the enthusiasm right now. Like, I'm so... Happy that that got to happen. Yeah. For the most part, they nailed it. Like, wow. Yeah. As much as I'm sad about Boo, like, I have to admit that what they did with Frieza just made the arc so much more interesting. And it really renewed my appreciation for Frieza as a character, too. And kind of redeemed his character a little bit after Resurrection F. Because even though I enjoyed him in Resurrection F, I think the Universe Survival arc did so much more for his character. To have him, like, show off that he can be menacing and threatening and goofy and playful but he also can be a surprisingly effective team player as well when he has to be you can't trust frieza but you can trust frieza to be frieza yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i love how that plays into the you know final battle as well like it's so poetic that jiren is taken out by the teamwork of the two people who probably they don't like each other at all but like they trust in each other's abilities and like the teamwork between two bitter enemies is what defeats jiren it's like wow that's really awesome oh that is good yeah yeah so exciting and i'm excited that he's still alive because i mean for one thing they keep bringing him back in whatever one form or another so it's nice that he's just you know here for hopefully for good now so they don't have to keep <laughs> inventing ways to bring him back or have another character who is like exactly like him <laughs> <laughs> like the the balance they struck at that last is like crazy good mm-hmm. but that that last episode is the best episode of the whole show yeah um and uh like that balance of Frieza getting to live and be like the evil tyrant again is like his reward for helping out. It's like, hey, good on you, Frieza. But then like, there's also that like, oh, but don't worry, we'll fight again if we have to, and if you do something bad, we'll we'll fight again. I think there was like a fan comic that I saw floating around where it's like some person's idea of like what the weeks after were like, and it's like, you know, Frieza, he's got his like champagne, he's like waxing philosophically, and then like every once a day, like Goku would pop in, like, hey, doing evil yet? <laughs> I'm ready to fight you. Oh, it's so good. I especially love in that scene where they're saying, Frieza, if you do anything bad, we'll stop you. They have a shot of Frieza, like, looking at Team. And then the next shot is everyone who fought Frieza on Namek looking right back at him. That was just such a great subtle <laughs> detail to include in there. So I, I really love the storyboarding in that last episode in particular. Like, they created a lot of great emotions in that. Oh, it's just so good. But Frieza as a character, I'm really excited to see, see what they'll do with next, because I don't think they'll continue with him just being a straightforward villain, like he'll be the villain of another arc, but like him being like a on and off bad guy, good guy, depending on what an arc demands is interesting to me. But we should circle back around, I guess, to talk about other characters, maybe, or like how the arc progressed, uh, like the tournament progressed from like the beginning to how it ended in terms of the structure. I mean, I just want to kind of briefly talk about 
Boo again is that while I am sad that he didn't get a whole lot to do, I do appreciate that they were aware that they were going to kick Boo out of the team, so they gave him that fight in the Zen exhibition match. Because that was a fun fight, at least. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. those exhibition episodes were pretty good, too. Yeah, they did a good job setting up Gohan with his fight with Lavender. He was not at his best in that episode in terms of, like, his power fighting ability. But, like, he was still, he still showed off his strength in terms of, like, his smarts and how he's able to turn a bad situation around. And I thought it set up his arc of, you know, I need to get stronger in order to fight in the tournament on a more competitive level and protect, you know, my family and my friends. Like, I think they set up that arc very well with that episode and that carry forward into, like, that episode where... You know, he was training with Piccolo. And I feel like with Gohan's arc, I think I really liked that they let Gohan, like, have those moments to shine. Part of me wonders if this is, like, a regression, though, almost. Because I feel like they bring up this idea of Gohan needing to get over his arrogance. That he was... (laughs) Which doesn't make sense. Yeah. That he was being too overconfident in his abilities, and that's how he made mistakes and lost battles. And, like, Piccolo specifically brings up, like, his fight with Super Boo in that episode, where, like, you know, Gohan got his mystic power up, and he fought Super Boo, but then Boo, he wasn't paying enough attention in that fight, and so Boo was able to absorb, you know, Gotenks and, like, completely turn the battle around. And so I don't know if, like, that was really the issue of why Gohan lost control of that fight. Like, it was something that happened in the, in the Cell arc. Like, Gohan kind of got arrogant, and Goku was saying, like, oh, you should finish Cell now, but Gohan was like, no, I want to make him suffer more. And so he let Cell kind of get into a position where he was about to blow up the Earth. He couldn't do anything, so Goku had to sacrifice himself. And I feel like because he learned that happened, he should have learned his lesson from that. So, I don't know. I think nerdy Gohan is the, the best mm-hmm. Gohan. Like, that's, that's, yeah. that's who he really is at his core. But, like, he does have this kind of, like, chosen one-ish DNA that, like, makes him, like, a lot stronger than the other characters on occasion. He's almost, like, overcompensating a bit. Like, he's he's leaning into it just a little too much, and, like, he, he's eventually going to kind of center back to the, the nerdy stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gohan has such a weird up-and-down characterization throughout Dragon Ball's kind of history. And it, it's frustrating because there's moments when the characterization they set up for Gohan is, in my mind, the best characterization they have of anyone in the entire franchise. Because mm. it's something that they, they've kind of built over all these years. We, we know what Goku's about. He's about fighting to get stronger. And every so often, that fighting just aligns with, like, I guess I'll protect the people I care about. It's rarely <laughs> something he specifically mentions at points until, like, the last moment. Right. But Gohan, it's very specific to him that the reason he fights is only really to protect his mm-hmm. loved ones. He doesn't have a love of fighting like his dad does. And he he's a different person than his dad is. Mm-hmm. And specifically now because he was sort of raised to be bookish to study because of his mom's kind of guidance, he's a, a smarter character than someone like Goku is. So it, it, it presents the opportunity for so much of a new direction. And my favorite episode and the episode that kind of got me into Super was uh, episode 90 where Gohan and Goku have that fight in the middle of the evening. And they're both kind of just trying to push at each other. And it's this big sort of redemption moment for Gohan to feel like he's worthy of being on that stage with his dad and the you know the end of the episode has that big moment where goku's like you're the captain of this team because you're the best person for the job and it's such a great moment and you're like that is like the perfect role for gohan in this he may not be the ace of the team but who better could lead this team someone with as as big smarts as him someone who knows these people around here as much but then there's just not as much 
payoff through it, through the actual tournament. There's individual moments that Gohan has that are great. You know, when he, he eliminates that last member of Universe 10 and he kind of feel the weight he has realizing like, oh, this is a guy who basically has the same family makeup as me, you know, has a significant other and a young daughter. And I just had to end his reality. You know, it's that stealing himself for what he's going to need to do in the future. But then none of that really like kind of plays off into the end when Gohan's kind of one of the last few remaining characters in it. And it just sort of feels like his actual motivation kind of gets lost in everything. Yeah, I definitely agree that like they lost sight of that leadership role they set up for Gohan, that role that Gohan has these unique qualities that make him like the perfect role for this to be team leader because he is the one most focused on this goal of protecting their universe. Whereas all the other members of the team are like not as focused on that because, you know, at the beginning of the tournament, like half of them go off to just fight without like listening to Gohan's orders. I just kind of kept waiting for that aha moment in this arc where you'd be like, so that's why Gohan was made to be the leader, where he'd do something that wasn't about punching somebody the hardest or firing the biggest energy beam, but he would have done something tactfully brilliant that made you say, oh, this is why Gohan's leader of this team, because he can see the forest through the trees. You know, he's not... I mean, technically, he's supposed to be stronger than his dad if he actually tried, but the idea being that he can't be the fighter his dad is, but he has so many other strengths to bring to the table, and let's give that a moment in the spotlight, because... I'm going to recognize that Gohan's not going to be the one to probably beat Jiren in the end. You know, I I can recognize as a viewer that that's not really his spot, but he has so much other strength to bring to the table. Like it would have been nice to get a big moment for that. And it was possible to certainly do so because other characters certainly had those moments. Like Vegeta and Roshi definitely had moments that hit upon what their role in this team really was. Frieza as well. So it was certainly there. It just felt like a missed opportunity. I think in regards to that, a big missed opportunity was like not having Gohan fight Toppo. Because I think that would have been a perfect matchup in terms of those characters' personal philosophies. When Toppo abandons justice because it's a worthless ideal, it's, it's not helping him be strong and he embraces being a god of destruction. Like having Gohan being a character who in his great Saiyan persona, you know, is a hero of justice, is someone who fights to protect people and believes in doing good by people. Like having that ideological clash would have been such a powerful moment for his character and I think it would have been made for a really satisfying fight. I really wish they would have gone for that instead of Gohan and Frieza versus Ispo, which the idea there is Gohan, even though like uh, something unexpected comes up in that fight, and when Frieza is unable to keep up like his laser cage thing, like Gohan was still on the ball, so he was able to make a quick decision in order to take a very potentially like dangerous enemy out before he could really get moving again. So, you know, they paid off on this idea of Gohan, like, making mistakes in fights because he gets too overconfident when it's going well for him. But it it didn't really feel like a satisfying enough payoff for, like, the leadership idea or, like, this deeper idea about what Gohan is fighting for. So I feel that was a really missed opportunity. And I also felt that the idea of trying to force, like, this Gohan-Frieza kind of dynamic, like, I I think it works because Resurrection F-Arc, where, like, 
Frieza was had like no respect for Gohan and like really brutalized him. That like Gohan and Frieza are able to form like this relationship of respect in the tournament, and then that pays off in the Dispo fight where Frieza's willing to listen to his orders, which I guess sort of ties into the leadership thing again. That the person that who is least likely to follow the advice of anyone and becomes a team player in this instance because he respects Gohan. But still, it's just not satisfying enough. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a far enough push. And I also was just turned off by the fact that the fight ends with Gohan doing a full Nelson on Dispo and it's like, oh, is this a parallel to Goku and Piccolo versus Raditz? Is that what you're doing? Come on, do something a little <laughs> unique here. <laughs> that one was weird because I think there's a straight up like a missing shot like that they didn't get around to animating it. Yeah, that episode was not the best directed. I feel like there was some production troubles going on around that time that contributed to that, but yeah, that was it was really disappointing in particular that what should have been Gohan Spotlight episode was hampered by really poor production and also by the fact that most of the episode was not about him but about Frieza and Dispo. So yeah, that was a little unsatisfying for sure. I feel like you could do an entire series of podcasts just on analyzing <laughs> the the highs and lows of Gohan's portrayal through Dragon Ball's like history because it's such a curious topic of a character who was like slowly being pushed to be a main character who has found himself further and further pushed into the backlog of like the main Saiyan characters at this point. Yeah. But the rough part of this, and as we kind of mentioned, Universe of Power Arc being a roller coaster, I think Gohan more than anybody kind of exemplifies that to me because there were such great high points for me with Gohan's character, especially leading up to the tournament. And then moments in the arc where you're just like, I feel like they could have done something a little bit more interesting or a little bit better with this. And then like the ultimate payoff just kind of being like, I don't know if it was worth waiting in line two hours for that or whatever, yeah. you know, uh, just sort of that attitude. There was still plenty of other characters who I think got way better attention done. So I, I you know, I generally really have high opinions of the universe or the, uh, the, the tournament arc just because, you know, I enjoyed what they did with those guys so much, but Gohan being my favorite character was certainly, it was certainly disappointing to not get like that big moment that a lot of other characters tended to get. It's really frustrating. There was so much inconsistency on where Gohan's arc was going through that tournament. It's definitely attributable to the fact that Super has multiple writers working on like developing the story. So depending on right. the writer for a particular episode, you'll notice certain things being emphasized more than others. And there are some writers that are better than yeah. others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was my main ride with the series where it's like every five episodes or so, like you could tell this person like gets it in a way that the others don't. And it's like, I yeah. Like, it was never, like, uh, as clear as, like, I could track down the name that did all the episodes I liked or anything like that. Uh, I think there's a couple of people. But it's always hard to know, like, do I just, like, not like the direction the story is going in on principle? Or is it just that they don't have the people who can really breathe life into it? Yeah, I mean, with how Gohan's final episode in the tournament turned out in particular that was written by Yoshifumi Fukushima who did write some of the weaker episodes in the tournament I felt um he wrote the uh the Tien's recruitment episode which had all the uncomfortable Master Roshi stuff he wrote uh, the episode where you know Gohan Piccolo fought the last two members of Universe 10 so I guess it was good that they had him, you know, begin and end Gohan's main involvement in the tournament, I guess. But he also wrote episode 108, which was like the Frieza-Frost team-up episode, which I thought was 
like a really oh, poorly weird. executed thing. And so he's one of the more inconsistent writers for sure. It's unfortunate that he got assigned the episode. What should have been Gohan's like high point or like big climactic moment for his role in the arc to be such a dud. And that's just the consequences of, or the perils of, like, a long-running television series, television anime, that, you know, they're going to have stronger episodes than others. It's also a big difficulty in a show right now that in our protagonist force, we have ten main characters mm-hmm. that we're trying to all give equal spotlights to. And, you know, again, he might not have the best sort of showcase, but I, I really do appreciate that several of the characters do have fantastic showcases. So, like, even though Gohan, my boy... Just kind of goes out on a whimper. Plenty of other characters get really great moments to shine, and I appreciate that fact just as much, because managing several main characters is something that almost no show or medium can really handle. It's a very difficult thing to kind of balance out just right. Yeah, especially for fan-favorite characters with such histories, like most of the Dragon Ball cast. Like, to do justice by them is, like, you know, extremely difficult thing to do. Especially considering, like, how do you account for power scaling if you account for it, or how you or how you really highlight what the strengths of this character are. And they definitely succeeded with some more than others. Like what Colton was saying earlier, Tien probably got the worst out of it because his recruitment yeah. episode wasn't great. And also in that episode where uh, Gohan and Piccolo fight Goku and Tien, like Tien also kind of looks like a chump in that because he's like, oh, we should try not to hurt these guys. And Goku's like, uh, yeah, I think we should be the ones worrying about getting hurt. And then Tien just messes up throughout the entire fight. And then when it comes time for him to fight in the tournament, like he gets one major fight and it was not in a particularly well directed episode and it's like kind of lame that Tien does four clones himself to like chase after Hermela all of them like get shot down one by one it's like the point of this was like you have four guys to like help you see more of the ring or something but like these guys are getting taken out anyway it's just one left so what was the point of that except for the end to have the twist where the other Tien clones drag Hermela down with him come on Tien's way smarter than this it's a fine sort of concept that he goes down but his you know ability to kind of create these clones is what kind of gives him the edge over this person i I watch a lot of wrestling and my favorite kind of match is the warrior rumble because you you get the opportunity to put a lot of really weird kind of stories in there because it's a whole bunch of people in the ring at once and this was sort of what the tournament of power felt like to me because it was you know what i'm not great at math it's 100 people right or no 80 80, yeah because it's it's four universes gone so it's you know 80 characters we know a grand total of maybe 20 of mm-hmm. them prior to this. So there's a ton of characters that kind of just get introduced. And it would have been really weird and frustrating if the entirety of Universe 7 made it to, like, the very end. So they needed to get rid of people early on. Krillin gets the the sh- very short end of that stick when he's gone in, like, episode 3 or whatever <laughs> of the actual tournament. You know, Tien gets to last a little bit longer, though he probably does less overall. But it, it's still... Uh, yeah. It's still satisfying in a way to at least show that the dedication and techniques that he had to use eliminated what could have been a very dangerous target. It's always sort of weird in Dragon Ball 
when a character has a very specific way of like fighting and doing something in a series that tends to be a lot more ambiguous to strategy and things like that of my energy blast is bigger than yours and things like that. So it, it's tough to always analyze it of like, what if that guy had lasted to the end? Could Goku and, and Vegeta and them truly have beaten him otherwise? You know, it, it's sort of a question that I'll never have an answer, but it's at least satisfying that Tien had to go all out and did bring a guy down. I don't think it's the most satisfying way of him going down, certainly, and I could see why TN fans would be really disappointed with it, but I, I can at least appreciate that there was some concept brought into it that felt like it was cool. Maybe it wasn't executed perfectly, but they still had something going into it. It wasn't just like, he gets knocked off the arena midway through in the middle of a fight or whatever. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like in the manga where, like, Frost sucker punches him and he's out. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been much more frustrating, I think, if he had been eliminated. If, like, he made it all the way to the end, and they're fighting the, the big robot monster from Universe 3, and it was like, well, we just have too many characters. Let's not knock off Tien at this point, or something like that. Like, that one, I think, would have been more yeah. annoying than if he gets his own moment to go. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I do appreciate he at least gets an episode. That's at least nice. And he does use all his signature techniques, even especially techniques he didn't use in a while. So it, it's kind of nice to have those drawbacks. He didn't, like do nothing. It also helps that unlike Krillin, like, his teammates were like, oh, you did a good job, Tian. Thank you. Unlike with Krillin, where everyone's like, ugh, you idiot. How could you let yourself get eliminated like that? Man. Everyone's like, oh no, this made sense. Krillin first? Yeah, okay, this all adds up. (laughs) Man, and that's so, like, upsetting considering, like, Krillin was actually kind of going through an arc, you know, like, before the Tournament of Power, which I thought was really interesting, but (laughs) it is what it is, I guess. Overall, I am satisfying with that arc for Krillin because the episodes he got in general in Super were pretty good. Like mm-hmm. the episode he had in the even the Resurrection F arc where like he was like working up through like being afraid to like fighting tough opponents again. And then he like realized, oh no, I'm I'm still a capable martial artist. And then his arc of like I'm not ever going to be as strong as Goku. Things have changed so much from back in the day when we were, you know, rivals on the same level and now I'm just so far behind. I'm just not up for this anymore, but then like Goku inspires him like to continue working at it, continue his training. They have that great fight on the rooftop where, you know, Krillin faces down Super Saiyan Blue Goku and like still like gives his all and you know obviously he's not gonna overpower Goku but he shows off like how cunning he can be how like skilled a fighter he is like Krillin does show that he is still capable of being useful in a fight and also he is a skilled martial artist he kind of even teaches Goku like or at least kind of helps Goku come to the realization that this fight is going to take a little more strategy than what's normally, you know, required of him. Even though how they kind of just kind of threw that away once the Tournament of Power started, I do kind of like that he kind of gave Goku something to think about, which I still think means a lot. He and 18 also inspired Goku to think about teamwork better, which ends up being one of a huge component in the Tournament of Power. And one of my favorite aspects of the arc is that it is focused on team-based fights and like characters pairing off and fighting alongside each other against other foes. And to me, that is extremely valuable because so much of Dragon Ball is just one-on-one confrontations. But with the tournament, Mm -hmm. we see so many more pairings, and that's really satisfying. The biggest detriment to what happens with Krillin's arc is honestly not even involving Krillin, but it's actually in that that huge Master Roshi Mm -hmm. moment when he goes down and he has this big sort of speech to his pupils. It's an amazing moment. It, it, It is probably my favorite moment of the entire 
tournament arc itself oh, just man. because yeah. it, it came out of nowhere. I was not, a, I hated Roshi going into it. I was like, why is he on his team? And he has this amazing moment where he's like, you know, eat well, play well. I pass my journey on to you, my students. And it's such a great moment, but it does detract from the fact when you're like, yeah, Goku in the heart of this, you know, he needs this moment to kind of continue on. And you're like, Krone's <laughs> over in the fucking stands. He's out. <laughs> he's not, he's not benefiting from this anymore. <laughs> like, it's kind of a bummer when you're just like, one of the students is just like, already out, old man. Sorry about this. <laughs> I still think regardless that is it's probably one of the most powerful moments in the franchise in a while at least to me anyway like man that really hit me so hard I think I was legit crying when like you just have Goku run over to Master Roshi hoping he's not dead and it's so it's so heartbreaking. Oh yeah, and like Goku <laughs> does not cry a whole lot in the series. Like yeah, like I don't remember the last arc in the series where Goku like shed a tear or like was was super emotional about something. Like not since original Dragon Ball arcs. I could probably count on one hand how many times we have seen Goku actually get legitimately emotional. One I think would probably be him seeing, you know, his grandpa Gohan for the first time after his death. And then you could argue that very pained expression that's almost sort of iconic that he makes, you know, after he has to kill off Frieza the first time on planet Namek. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's probably one of the most, like, expressive things I think Toriyama's ever drawn, because I think that expression speaks so much to, like, how Goku's feeling in that moment. And then, really outside of that, I'm kind of hard-pressed to think of anything else besides this moment with Roshi in the Tournament of Power. Yeah, I think the last time Goku cried, like, he was, like, he had this feeling of, like, you know, desperation and relief about something was, like, when he defeated King Piccolo. And, like, after that was then he was like, Master Ocean Krillin, I did it, I won. And he's, like, shedding tears because this ordeal, like, he finally killed the guy who killed his best friend and, me and mentor. And it was, like, like, seeing Goku, that Goku still feels so strongly about Master Roshi, and, like, he's still such an important person to, in his life, it's, like, it really got to me because, like, it's, that's a relationship that's just not touched upon a whole lot after the King Piccolo arc. And it just felt really, really nice to see it being readdressed here, that you know, Master Roshi is Goku's teacher. He taught him, like, important life lessons, like, that there's always something stronger and that you should use your power not to hurt people but for the greater good and that, you know, Master Roshi was like a kind of a father figure to him. That moment was just so good. And It's also nice to see Roshi, like, you know, kind of being reinvigorated with this like um i guess desire to become stronger when like there was a clear point in the original dragon ball manga where he clearly understands that he has been outclassed like so early on in the series that like he kind of mentioned it's at least like once or twice throughout the series like oh well there's not well i guess i'm shit out of luck there's not much really i could do <laughs> what can i do or whatever um, and they kind of play that off as a joke, which, you know, at the time, I I still think it's kind of funny. Like, he's kind of self-aware of that, and Toriyama, to, by extension, as well. So it's, so it's kind of nice to see Roshi, again, kind of rekindle that desire to get stronger, almost through the hard work that he sees Goku and Krillin still putting in after all these years. Mm -hmm. It's significant, I feel, that when you have this 10-person group, you don't want everyone to feel like they're 10 versions of the same kind of person. You want them all to kind of go in with their own strengths and weaknesses. And I thought Roshi had sort of a weird place in the beginning. They kind of noted he's like a trickster. So it would be, you know, a little different style. Somebody would be thinking more with their brain than anything else. And they do play that off really well when he's, you know, defeating people by capturing them in the jar and going off of that. But he has this extremely 
potent moment where he just is a mentor and he's he's realizing that moment and he's he's talking about passing on to everyone else and he falls into this interesting loophole that exists within the tournament of power where killing someone gets your entire universe erased but someone dying themselves you know by pushing themselves or committing suicide or whatever doesn't break a rule so it creates this moment of opportunity where as a viewer you kind of don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You you see Roshi going out and you have this moment of hesitation where you're like, wait, are they actually going to kill Roshi in this tournament? Like, holy crap. And it, it has a satisfying payoff too where not only does he live, but he gets another moment to still be awesome in the tournament when he's basically just trying to survive against Frost for a while and then gets like the satisfying payoff when like, for, you know, Vegeta helps him kind of, you know, respectfully fall on his shield out of the tournament as a that way to kind of protect himself. Like, that's what helped kind of makes this arc so special is because these these are moments that really just can't exist in the prototypical Dragon Ball arc because this is following an entirely different set of rules than something like fighting against a Boo or a Cell or, you know, uh, a future, you know, whatever they're fighting against at that point in time is. This arc created opportunities to tell different types of stories. And this is one of those types of stories that I super appreciated having because it, it gave a chance for a character who hasn't had a spotlight in a really long time and has become kind of just a joke within the universe that all he cares about is women and that's the only thing his mind is occupied with and giving him a chance to be a respectful cool admirable person once again like at this point i love roshi like i hated him going into it but after this tournament i was like roshi's awesome i'm so glad they put him in this tournament i'm so glad he was a part of the 10 person team like that's that's the best way to kind of carry this thing across because it completely defied expectations oh yeah like i i was like i i thought it was cool they included roshi in the team but like man i was not expecting much of anything at all going in. And in that way, like you said, this arc really kind of blew away my my expectations. Roshi's involvement was definitely the character I was most satisfied with in terms of how he was used in the tournament because they really emphasized what makes him unique as a character and why he's important as a character in his mentorship role to Goku and his wisdom and experience. And the moments where both Vegeta is like, you know, telling Roshi, you know, you can respectfully retire now, you did a good job. You know, that is meaningful because Vegeta is someone who doesn't have any relationship with Roshi. Like, Vegeta never saw Roshi when he was at his prime. He never saw him fight or anything. But, like, mm-hmm. Vegeta here is having respect for Roshi for just what he's done in the tournament. But even then, Beerus compliments Roshi and, you know, calls him Mutant Roshi Sama. It's like, Beerus is, like, paying respect to Roshi's honorifics and his title. You know, Beerus is someone, like, way above Roshi. Beerus is a god, but he's calling him effectively Master Roshi. And it's like, whoa. Like, that that's just so powerful to, like, see Roshi be so respected like that and, like, be so acknowledged as such an important character in the in this franchise like that. Like, that was really satisfying to me as a long-time fan of the character. I really like that about Beerus in general through this arc is that he, he kind of goes through that thing where it's like, you know, he doesn't really care about, like, what everyone's names are. He just kind of calls them by these, like, weird nicknames or whatnot. But, like, there are a couple of characters that, like, really kind of defy his expectations, and you can clearly tell that, like, he has a new respect for him individually, because he kind of does the same thing with Gohan, I think, once he retires. Mm-hmm. I want to also just give a special shout-out to, in that moment, I think the name of the track is A Secret Plan with One's Life on the Line. It plays all the time throughout the arc. But this moment more than any, when Roshi's, like, giving that big speech preparing his Kamehameha, is, like, my favorite usage of that track. Because it, it just adds to that moment so well, of feeling like this this heroic moment 
a potential defeat in it as well. Like it's it's like a great last stand kind of track. Yes, mm-hmm. it was perfect for that moment. They really brought out the best of the soundtrack in the Tournament of Power. I feel like a lot of those tracks were used in previous arcs, but like for some reason I didn't notice most of them until the tournament. It wasn't until oh, the tournament yeah. when I paired them with some powerful emotional beats. Oh man, yeah, can I just say, before the Tournament of Power, the music for Super was just not even a blip on my radar, like, it just left, like, no impression on me, yeah, it just left no impression on me at all, but with the Tournament of Power, there were at least a couple of tracks that I recognized they kept kind of playing, you know, over and over every once in a while, I think there's this one, like, really jazzy-sounding track that they play every once in a while that I kind of wish I knew the name of, yeah, yeah, It sounds like something from, like, one of the video games or something. Like, I, I, I like it when Dragon Ball music incorporates, like, uh, sort of jazzier instruments or whatnot. Uh, those are some of my favorite pieces of Dragon Ball music. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I really like that track in particular. And then the uh, Ultra Instinct theme is uh, also pretty great. Yeah. Uh, not, okay. not, the, not the insert... Oh. Not the insert song, but, like, the... Man, yeah. I lost my shit every time that played. <laughs> mm-hmm. The insert is pretty good too. That's like one of my weaknesses. Is like well-timed rock and insert song. Oh, I don't man. care how cheesy it is. I don't care how good the song is. Just like get that like moment right, and like I'm I'm swooning. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it in anime when it's like you know it's a big moment when they start playing the opening during the big thing that happens or whatever. Like I I, I live for that shit. Mm-hmm. And they got an amazing singer for that insert team in Akira Kushida. You know he did the oh, Kid yeah, Hikuman and Toriko openings, and he's done so many Kamen Rider openings like he is just amazing at making a really kick-ass song like it's just his vocals are just like they capture like the essence of this like ah we're gonna have a good fight we're gonna like really pump yourself up like it's like so adrenaline pumping just like the way he sings and it's just such perfect for this insert team that's like supposed to play at like the most exciting battles of the series it's just it really gets their blood pumping it really engages you in how epic what you're watching is yeah. I don't know if you guys have touched on this at all, or if maybe this is just something like that I kind of latch onto in particular, but uh, I really like that moment in, um, I forget how far it is in the tournament, where Piccolo and Gohan are faced with the Universe 6 Namekians, and how uh, I kind of wish uh, maybe this got a little more focused, because uh, I really like the idea of Piccolo having to fight his own race and effectively killing his entire race by his hand. That was such like a great idea for a thing for Piccolo to go through. I just really like that idea. I, I'm not sure if I really fully agree with, like, how much focus it got, but, like, I like that along with... I think there's a moment where Piccolo kind of hesitates mm-hmm. to uh, to use the mm-hmm. uh, special beam cannon on one of them, and Gohan kind of has to, like, you know, basically get his head in the game and be like, hey, come on, we gotta do this or whatever. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty underrated moment in the arc. And it's this great moment, too, because when Piccolo is kind of getting caught in the blast by those Universe 6 and Epicans after he kind of messes 
messes up the special beam cannon. Like, we see inside of his mind, and we see, like, Nail and Kami on either side of him, and, like, Kami is, like, directing him to look forward, and all of a sudden, see, like, Gohan standing in front of him, protecting him. That was such a great moment, emotional moment. Like, you know, we're seeing inside Piccolo's mind, we're seeing, like, Kami and Nail are still a part of him, and, like, they're still, like, a part of his subconscious, like, reminding him, uh, to, you know, to stay focused and, like, keep in touch of, like, what's important right now, and... I love that callback, and I love, like, them emphasizing Piccolo and Gohan's relationship. Like, Piccolo is trying to get Gohan, like, back in battle shape and get his head in the games earlier in the recruitment arc. And now we're seeing the tables turned, where it's Gohan is, is who is the one to inspire Piccolo. And I, I love turnarounds like that. It's just so good. Mm-hmm. I guess something I'm kind of wondering about, though, is how do we feel about the stakes of the uh, Tournament of Power as far as, like, you know, the universe is getting erased and whatnot? Did the fact that the inevitability of them being brought back by the Super Dragon Balls kind of kill it for you guys at all? Or did you still feel that the stakes were still there, I guess? For me, it did not make anything worse. The stakes question is kind of a weird one because, like, I think that the Resurrection F is such a... An example of like how not to do it at like every step of the way. Like that's how you, it's, that's like the worst possible way to like relay stakes to your audience. Like mm -hmm. nothing feels sincere. Nothing feels like that anyone's actually in trouble. But I, th I think for me, the big part is like it's real enough for the characters. Mm. I think is the important thing. Yeah. Mm. I, I think that they built up the characters from other universe, specifically six and two so well that you felt emotional at, at when they were being erased and like you felt how the universe seven characters felt in that moment because even as a even as viewers you know that dragon ball is not going to go that dark and get rid of all of these characters like you know universe seven will probably survive uh, especially because you know the ending of the boo arc and mm -hmm, that yeah. is stuff after this but you know you also can expect that they're not gonna you know get rid of the universe six saiyans after building them up so much and with so much more to do with that idea but yeah mm. i mean just seeing how much those characters like affect and influence like the universe seven characters but also getting to know them more as characters and being invested in their stories really helped sell like the emotional stakes of the tournament of power like the idea that like really sad and devastating that so much life is being lost in here and that's uh, so many characters as friends from other universes are being erased here in this moment like especially with universe six yeah i remember gohan fighting a particular character who like had a family and whatnot and just that moment of like that character being taken out and then his universe being erased all while uh you know gohan holding the uh, like the little pendant with the picture of his family in it and then in erasing and it clearly like affects gohan emotionally like that kind of stuff i thought was very powerful at that point i think i was literally like i don't care if this is going to get reversed at the end like this is still pretty effective to me yeah right and like with universes six and two two like the way they stage that set off where you know they have this really emotional music playing the universe two characters like they stick to this note of love they don't go out afraid of dying they go out empowered together and then universe six mm -hmm. characters like they go out on a playful note kale and cauliflower mm -hmm. are like chasing around silent and Pirina, and you know champa like sticks his tongue out at beerus like they also go out bravely and kaba's like telling vegeta you know good luck and stuff and then of course, we see how Vegeta reacts to this. Both Vegeta and Beerus, we see how they react to this. Like, Beerus, you know, doesn't have words to really describe how he's feeling right now. But he's, like, saying, man, Chomp, I wish, you know, I wish you had said something to me. 
Or, you know, the line is so ambiguous, it can go either way that he's saying he wishes Ciampa would have said something to him, or he wishes he would have said something to Ciampa. So that's, like, a really effective note to hit upon, like, how Beerus feels in this moment. But also, we have Vegeta, you know, I see he's continuing this fight with uh, Kadopezla, who is, like, really shook by Chaba getting eliminated. He gets angry and saying, you know what, I'm in a really bad mood, so I'm going to finish this fight right now. They sold that really well. Yeah, having the different universes go out on different notes is a very important kind of way to deliver Mm -hmm. that. And it wasn't, you know, as a viewer, you kind of always have in the back of your mind that the hero is going to win, and I think... It's a very difficult thing, but a very impressive thing when a series is able to make you, even if it's just for a moment, doubt that maybe everything's going to end as perfectly as you (laughs) want. And that kind of can help it because, you know, we knew for a while that if the heroes won, the likely scenario was that they were going to bring everyone back. I mean, that was Vegeta's expressed goal in this is if he got the wish, he would bring back Universe 6. So we kind of have in our mind what is the likely end to this. But it was in a, a place of kind of uncertainty for Goku because for a while they really established that Jiren was too strong for Goku to beat. And even after his big power up. Jiren was still too strong. We still hadn't seen the upper limits of it. So it placed this sort of level of uncertainty there mm-hmm. that kind of helped you forget that you in the back of your mind know how the ultimate way this battle is going to end is going to be. And then it ends on a really, I think, kind of strong note by instead of it being Goku, who's the last one standing at the end who makes the wish, they give it to Android 17 and they use that as a moment to kind of close up this character arc they've been building for him throughout the entire tournament of him doing and trying to understand humanity and, and making this kind of selfless act for a character who was going into it for, you know, noble but still selfish reasons, ultimately. It's a very cool idea and it was really well executed. It's, yeah, the same result I think everybody kind of assumed from the beginning, but I don't think it detracts from it in any way. When they execute something well, you can still appreciate it, even if you're able to guess how it was going mm-hmm. to go. Exactly, but, yeah. Yeah, you're making a good point about Jiren, because he is insanely strong, and you're wondering how even Goku could even manage to beat him. And I think that the fact that Jiren is crazy powerful, but also like not like a villainous person, you could imagine mm-hmm. an ending where like maybe he's the winner, but then like maybe he makes a wish that brings everyone back. And and the fact that we his kind of motivations and his wish is kind of ambiguous for a while. That I think that does do a good job of keeping that uh, uncertainty going. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, sp- speaking of Jiren, I don't know how much you guys have talked about him just yet, but like. I'm a bit salty on Jiren, or I guess sour on Jiren, just because... He's boring. We could say it. He's boring. I like boring. the idea yeah. of Jiren's character <laughs> and what they were trying to do at the end, but they executed badly at the beginning when they just made him a stoic like guy who just stands around doing nothing, uh, except to fight occasionally and just be badass. But that was all his character was at the beginning. It was that See, I kind of like the stoicism. Like it, yeah. it was when they tried to give him a backstory that like he kind of stopped feeling real to me. I think... The problem with him is kind of just almost a mood sort of thing, because it was nice to have someone who wasn't in the same line of, like, cackling overlord villains that, you know, Mm -hmm. Dragon Ball tends to often have. You know, it was nice having somebody who just feels starkly different and still is able to feel terrifying almost in a different way. You know, where Frieza might cackle and talk about how he's going to kill your entire family, Jiren's just silent and still makes you feel like he could do that more. Like, it was a very cool ambiance to have for a while, but... As the tournament goes on, we have to spend so much time with him, even just as a background sort of instrument of like, he's over there in the corner meditating. That made no sense. You just kind of reach that point where you're like, I want him to do something though. Like, I like this cool stoic, doesn't say anything, but he'll kick your ass in a heartbeat 
character, but he needs to do something if we're 22 episodes into this and, like, he hasn't said anything yet. He was very inconsistently written in terms of, like, what his goals are, because if his goals were to protect his universe and make the wish himself, like, why wasn't he more actively fighting? Why did he, like, just stand around doing nothing for most of the first half, and then he was meditating until only Universe 7 was left? Like, why? Because he has to be the final boss, but Sith, see, don't you know? because of the manga, <laughs> because of the super manga, we know that wasn't how they had to write him, because the super manga is upfront about what Jiren's motivations are, and, like, that he fights to protect people, but he only relies on his own strength, so he's not a team player, necessarily. So they're upfront mm-hmm. about that. They establish that from the start. And Jiren is an active fighter from the beginning. He doesn't care about Goku because he doesn't care about, like, fighting Goku. And he doesn't, like, respect Goku's motivations for, like, why he's in the tournament. So that's where the conflict is. And it's, but he's, like, still doing stuff. He's still fighting people. And he's still, like, helping out his team because, you know, that's what he's supposed to do. He's That's, like, the job he, he has to do as a pride trooper. But he also has a selfish motivation that he's also fighting for. He's actively trying to achieve that instead of just waiting around until there's not as much people there and then doing something because then the plot can actually have time for him or then they can, like, just focus on him fighting Goku and not worry about him fighting other characters and not eliminating them for some reason. I kind of wish, as far as, like, giving a rival for Goku to fight, I kind of wish that role went to Tapo Because I knew going in that Jiren was going to be the big antagonistic whatever that Goku was going to have to fight at the end of the arc, but, like, it was kind of weird having that knowledge going in when it seemed like in the beginning that, like, you could have easily interpreted it as, oh, they're clearly setting up a Topo to be the guy that Goku is going to clash ideologically with. Like, I, I kind of wish that maybe they gave more focus to Topo because I feel like he would have made for a more interesting antagonist, especially considering what we learn about him later on. I think it was kind of interesting the way they did it, because it's almost very much like associative juxtaposition between them, because they they build up this idea that this is a character Goku really couldn't put down, and they continue to kind of tease that throughout it, but then they have Vegeta be the one to finish him. And it's sort of that internal hierarchy that we all have to mentally associate with Dragon Ball, where we're like, well, Goku's at the very top, but Vegeta's supposed to be just a little bit beneath him. So making that switch is a way to kind of like quietly reinforce that idea of like, well, Goku could take down this guy previously, but he's powered up a whole bunch, but Vegeta is going to take him down. So it really reinforces the idea of just how strong Vegeta is to have to be able to do this without having to have Vegeta find some way, like making up some opponent for Vegeta to face or like having them put some ultimately, you know, non-fatal blow onto Jiren because Goku has to be the one to finish him off or whatever. I appreciate it to that regard and giving Vegeta a really satisfying kind of end climax that doesn't take away from anybody else necessarily. Yeah, I, I really kind of appreciate that Jiren got more interesting towards the very end. We kind of saw he was a dickhead to his mm-hmm. teammates. Like, he's part of this, like, anime superhero group, and he just hates all of them. Like, he just, <laughs> he has such little respect for them, but he's just like, he's strong, but he better not fucking lose. And, like, he just kind of reinforces that over and over, and it, it does create this different idea of, like, this universe where there's somebody stronger than Goku, and he works as a team, but he just hates the rest of them because they're just wastes of space to him, but he still acknowledges that they're strong. It created, like, a different dynamic for a villain in this sort of series, because all too often, the villain at that point would have killed his useless minions and been done with it or whatever you know Mm -hmm. this was a guy who was operating on a completely different thing where these guys may not be his friends 
but they're all very important pieces to make sure their universe stays in existence going forward. So yeah. they, they characterize it in an interesting way, and you get that kind of cool payoff where there's this moment of respect between all of them that was just satisfying. So I, I think they did interesting ideas with Jiren. It was a really long arc, so it was just tough to like s- like swallow all those huge spaces of time in between those moments actually mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. and just kind of accepting it. Like, alright, we're gonna go five episodes and Jiren's gonna do nothing but sit there meditating for a while while his- all of his friends fight. And you can kind of understand why. Like, he's like, I'm gonna conserve my energy because you guys are here for a purpose too. But eventually you're just like, why didn't this guy from the start just start throwing people out? Like, again, I gotta go to the Royal Rumble reference, but when they bring a monster into the Rumble, he clears the ring. Like, that's what he does to, like, get people out quickly. So it's sort of like, why is this dude just sitting over here doing nothing when there's all these losers around? I did appreciate when he did do something, because, like, there was just a point in the Tournament of Power where, like, Jiren would literally take a step and everybody would just be like, oh my god, I've never felt such a power like this before. (laughs) I love that sort of, like, bullshit shonen grandstanding so much. Um, And Again, like, I don't really care for Jiren as far as just his character goes, but, like, I liked him as far as just having that very overpowered figure for everybody just to, like, basically gawk at. I, I like, I at least like him as far as that went, I guess. Yeah, he was a threatening presence. He was, like, a good, like, wall that you saw that the characters had to break down and overcome in order to survive this thing. So he worked very well in that regard, but, yeah, they didn't focus on his character very well until the end. But I, I do like that the ideological thing between Goku and Jiren, that Jiren, like, only believes in his own strength and doesn't, like, believe that his strength comes from the people around him. But Goku has internalized that his strength comes from all the people that have helped him get this far. And, like, he really does value that. And we can appreciate that, like, it's believable because we see, you know, even earlier in those episodes where Goku, like, goes to train with Krillin, you know, even though Krillin is... You know, so much weaker than Goku. Goku still, like, sees him as his friend and rival, and he's still, like... In the tournament himself, Goku uses a tactic that Krillin used in their fight earlier against Jiren. And that's a powerful moment that's, like, Goku still is learning from his friends and the people around him. And that's helping him grow as a person. And that's why he's ultimately able to win, because Goku is fighting with the support of all of his friends on his back, and that's where he gets his power from, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Let me pose a hypothetical to you. So, if you are somebody who says, like, ah, I just didn't care for Jiren or anything like that, imagine this in the future. There's some sort of threat facing the Z Fighters that have really put them against, like, on their back foot. They're not doing so well. Goku's maybe gone, maybe he's dead. Maybe this is one of those moments where they need a new hero to show up. I don't know how time portal opens up and fucking Jiren shows up and he's like, Hey guys, I'm here to help. Would you not fucking lose your shit in excitement at that moment? Like I get that he's not the most exciting kind of character in this universe, but he fulfills a very different sort of role than what previous antagonists in the universe of Dragon Ball have done. And part of it's because this is a different sort of arc than that. This mm-hmm. isn't an overlord. This isn't some kind of like a conqueror or anything like that. This is a guy who's like, Hey, I didn't really want this, but the God put us in this fight and I'm not letting my universe disappear. So it's somebody who definitely going forward could be a potential ally to the, to the Z fighters. And I think that's a kind of cool spot. You know, it's, it's tough to maybe appreciate what Jiren's future in the series could be because we can only analyze what we've seen thus far. But I like this character being somebody who exists in the universe now going forward and 
I think there were parts of him that could have been better executed. I think his backstory and motivation definitely needed a little bit more of like a build to it to kind of swell and really create this idea of like, oh, this is why he's the way he is. But I still like that they they did something different. I think this this arc would have been so much more tiresome if it had been like a Frieza-like antagonist mm-hmm. who was just dominating throughout the entire thing. And he just had to sit there for whatever 60 episodes or whatever you needed to to kind of wait for him to get his comeuppance. Yeah, I I guess it's not really, like, the kind of character that he is so much as, yeah, like you said, like, they literally, like, don't really focus on his motivations much at all until, like, the last couple of episodes of the arc. And I think I would have found his character more interesting if the arc had taken advantage of maybe showcasing more of how stark you know, the personalities of both Jiren and Goku are, you know, when it comes to Goku learning different combat techniques from his friends against Jiren, who, you know, is pretty much closed off to everyone because of the fact that he had lost so many people that he had cared about, you know, at such a young age, and that basically hardened him. Like, I, I think I would have liked the character more if the show actually took the time to kind of explore the differences between both characters, even if it is, even if it is still a pretty simple idea, that idea of like, oh, you need friendship, that's all you need. Like, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's still, it still would have been something to latch on to. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel they make it work by the final episode. Like, I think in episode 130, when, like, Jiren is, like, refuses to accept that, like, Goku is, like, beating him now, and he, he like, attacks the stand. Like, he aims a blast at the U7 characters in the stands. He's like, friendship is meaningless. It can be taken away so easily. And Goku gets pissed off at that. I think that was a powerful moment. But then, like, in episode 131, like, when Jiren is, like, at a low point, like, it seems like Frieza is about to eliminate him. But Topo from the stands, like, encourages him on to keep fighting. And that, you know, renews his fighting spirit. And so he continues to fight onward from there. And then and, you know, after the tournament is over, you know, Jiren is talking to Topo and saying, you know, I'm not able to connect with other people. But Topo is like, don't be a coward, Jiren. Like, you can make connections. There are people around you. And, you know, I'm here. I'm your friend. It's like, yeah, I really feel that those moments. I really feel Jiren's arc through those moments. And, like, where we left off with Jiren in the final episode, like, I am looking forward to seeing, like, where this character goes and, like, what he'll do next in the story when he returns. Like, I think I would, like, be super excited in the situation posited that, uh, you know, Jiren shows up for a big heroic intervention to show off, like, how much he's changed as a character. I think that'd be really cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Jiren. And in general, a lot of the new characters they introduced in this arc. The characters I'm most excited about are Kale, Kalfla, and Kaba, you know, seeing more interactions with them and Goku and Vegeta, you know, Goku and Vegeta being mentors to them. That's what I really am excited about. And of course, more hit is, would be really nice. He's cool. Oh man. Yeah. So like, I feel like I'll probably go through the same thing with Jiren that I did with hit where it was like, I didn't really care about him that much at all when I, you know, on my first watch through of the universe six tournament or whatever, But, like, seeing him interact with the other, like, Universe 6 characters, I think, was when I started to really like him more. And just seeing him kind of, like, pair up with Goku and and all that. I think that'll be the moment when I'm like, okay, maybe, supposing I guess that Jiren gets an opportunity to actually team up with other characters or whatnot, I think that's maybe when I'll actually start to maybe like him a bit more. Because, I mean, like, like I said, I didn't care about Hit until I saw how he interacted with other characters. Like, I guess... 
with Hit in particular. Like, you know, I don't find him interesting on his own, but I find him a lot more interesting depending on who he's interacting with. Mm -hmm. I really like the role that he played in him being sort of like the team captain of Universe 6 and him kind of rallying everybody together. I thought that was a nice role for him to play. I really liked a lot of his fights in the Tournament of Power. I'd be lying if I said they weren't exciting. <laughs> Just constantly seeing his powers, his time stop powers constantly being trumped and then, you know, him having to like just constantly one up everybody uh, everybody he faced off against it was just kind of surprising to see his powers trumped in general i just like that back and forth in general where it's like oh no my powers are working okay i'm just gonna make them work like this oh no now they're being trumped again like i just like seeing that back and forth yeah uh, seeing his powers get stronger it was kind of a cool element too because we got to almost get like an alternate protagonist throughout the tournament of power where it was like oh it's like hit one of the Z fighters, because it really felt that way when we, we kept seeing him team up with, like, Goku to have a fight. When he's in a fight against somebody else, he's, you know, the underdog character we're kind of rooting for. We're like, no, don't eliminate Hit, because the other person is some kind of nameless antagonist force from one of the other teams. So it was a, a unique place for him to kind of be in, where we're like, he's not part of, like, the team we should be rooting for, but we just like this guy. Plus, he's just yeah. cool. Like, if I were 12 years old watching this series, I'd be like, that guy's <laughs> the coolest. He's got a cool-ass trench coat. He punches people through time. Like, he just <laughs> has that, that that element to him. Yeah, I mean, that's totally true. They did a really good job with the U6 characters in that regard, because we had like characters from two universes to root for, and also more characters where we had like really well-developed, you know, character arcs for. So I really like in the Tournament of Power that, you know, Hit has grown from being like introduced as this aloof loner guy who just you know, does his job and that's it. And now he's a team player and he's like, you know, willing to sacrifice himself for a greater cause. I think it was really meaningful mm -hmm. in that way. I'm, I'm hoping Jiren gets like an arc like that even better than that. I really like Kale and Cauliflower. Mm -hmm. I thought their dynamic was pretty good. I, I will go on the record as saying that Kale and Khalifa and then the ensuing, I always fuck up the name, Kefla, I think is the way you yeah. say yeah. fusion. They're the best part of the entire Tornado Power arc in, like, if you were to analyze, like, exciting moments. I think part of the reason I didn't care as much about Jiren is because there's such a more satisfying boss fight that occurs when it's Kefla versus Goku, and they have this intense, like, Super Saiyan one-upsmanship that just <laughs> continues to exist. Like, it's the overwhelming, like, stupidly awesome element of Dragon Ball where they're just like, you're strong, well, I'm gonna get stronger! And it just keeps escalating itself. But I love it's that all shit, too. satisfying. The way I describe that Kefla fight, it's like what you must imagine Dragon Ball must be like if you don't watch Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> they just went all in on it. Pretty much, And yeah. it's great. We mentioned before the ultimate battle theme, but that actually plays during the Kefla fight, and it's such a crazy kind of conclusion to that fight. Like, I was describing to my coast, who doesn't watch Super at all, but I was trying to explain to him, I was like, no, you have to understand, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> Goku spins on a Kamehameha <laughs> to avoid a death beam and finishes his opponent. It's stupidly awesome! <laughs> Like, it's just one of those things that the thing you want to get when you watch Dragon Ball is you want to kind of get hyped up like that. You want to, like, tap into, like, your inner 12-year-old who just doesn't know an end to your enthusiasm. And you're, like, screaming at your TV in excitement. You're just like, oh, I was great! And that's what I got out of the Kefla fight when you're just like, I love both these characters! Can't they win forever? <laughs> like, I'm just screaming at the TV like, never end! <laughs> I mean, I'd be lying if I said I, I didn't regress back to being eight years old while watching this arc, because, man, I really wasn't expecting to get so invested in 
in the tournament of power. Like I, I think I was expecting to have a good time, but yeah, I like like you said, like I, there were totally a whole ton of moments where I was just like yelling at my TV, like no, no, I don't want that guy to lose. Like ah shit, why why'd you do that? <laughs> Fucking yelling at my TV. I'm surprised my roommates didn't come out and just didn't, weren't like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you're like everything all right now you're like no Kalipa's losing immensely this is ridiculous you're like is he screaming about vegetables losing in his room it's like hey hey Colton are you okay no Krillin lost too early and I hate it <laughs> <laughs> I wanted more kale alright guess next time you're at the grocery store picking up more kale obviously he's got issues <laughs> I mean honestly they totally did say that too but I couldn't believe how excited I got during a lot of these fights. Like, it was just, it was it was just one of those things where, like, I don't want to say it this way, but, like, there were just a lot of moments in this arc where I just kind of turned my brain off and just kind of enjoyed it. And I rolled with the punches with, again, stuff like, oh, how come it takes, like, 30 minutes for this uh, thing to happen in one minute? Or, you know, just all that stupid stuff. Like I said earlier, I didn't really care about that kind of stuff as much because it's like, I, again, I knew what to expect. I'm just kind of used to that with this franchise at this point and it totally did not ruin my enjoyment of the arc at all and it was very rare that like I was actually kind of taken out of the experience of watching these fights I think that really says something about this arc for me personally mm -hmm. I think you're very right and I want to preface this by saying I am not a Dragon Ball fan well I should say not a fan but I'm not a super fan of Dragon Ball I have not followed the entire series so understand this is not coming from somebody who's trying to actively critique Dragon Ball but from my interpretation or my impression of Dragon Ball, I've never gotten the sense this is a particularly deep sort of series. It's a battle shonen mm -hmm. series, and they have sort of the systematic things they fall into. There was never anything, as you said, in this arc that made me kind of really stop and think. There's a ton of nuance to this that if you read into it, you're kind of horrified. Like, not enough characters are really kind of sitting there like, this god's trying to kill 10 universe or eight universes this is ridiculous we should like what, what what's going on with this and i mean i think it's fine to not have to embrace that i think really the fun of dragon ball has kind of been the screaming laser blast fights like that's what is really the series does well and makes it exciting you don't i, I don't know if it necessarily needed to be anything bigger than that because that has a ton of validity to it just innately you know mm -hmm. there's a perfect room for just enjoying this and that's what i think this arc did so well is you know, it didn't try to create something more than it, what it needed to be. It just gave us a reason to kind of get those moments in a pretty interesting format. Actually, you know what? There's one thing I do want to bring up that I think did kind of bother me a little bit. It was one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure if I'm just remembering this wrong or if this is like an actual inconsistency. Because there is the, um, I guess the one hour special or whatever where Goku actually gains Ultra Instinct. Where like, he thinks of the idea to use the Spirit Bomb on Jiren, but like, I don't know, the thing that kind of bothered me about that is like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the whole thing about the Spirit Bomb is that it deals damage to the opponent depending on how evil the opponent is. And I just... Nerd! Wait, what? 
I think the damage is based on how much energy it Yeah. Collects. Whether it can damage you or not is based on... And the also, they've changed the rules of the spirit bomb a lot of times before. Like, in the Saiyan saga, like, Goku doesn't have to, like, stand up with his arms in the air to, like, collect a ball that's in the air. Like, the, the energy is flowing... Well, he did yeah, do but that. the energy's flowing through his body. It's not, it's not right. manifesting as a ball in the sky. It's, like, coming through his body. He compresses it into a ball to give to Krillin to draw Vegeta, but that wasn't what originally was. In terms of like mm-hmm. how, uh, like you can see a ball accumulating in the sky, but then that happens in the Frieza saga, and they stick with it. Wasn't that the thing in the Saiyan saga where like there's also that moment where like the spirit bomb is about to like hit Gohan, and Goku tells Gohan not to worry because basically Gohan, you're good if you can just bounce it back, it won't really hurt you at all. Yeah, I think it is supposed to focus on just negative energy. And I don't know if it's necessarily evil, but, like, negative energy. So I, I don't know. It's just a very inconsistent thing. I think that was really the only thing that, like, kind of set off my, my nerd radar, I guess, was like, well, this, this shouldn't work. I don't know why he's doing this. Okay, but, I'm reading up so... on this, and apparently <laughs> you need a pure heart to use the spirit bomb. But okay. it, the person doesn't need to be a evil person for it to work against. So you can use it okay. on, like, just anyone. But, like, it's easier to deflect if you're a good person, is the thing. I guess that was my mistake, then. Uh, inconsistencies! <laughs> Dragon Ball is there for this. Yeah, Dragon Ball is not new to being inconsistent at all. That's just another thing I fully expect from this franchise at this point. It's kind of one of those things that just kind of makes the franchise charming in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's something where you're like, this series just builds upon itself without really considering. <laughs> like, it's just like, only support star and alignment. Just keep building higher and higher. Bigger, bigger. Toriyama's willingness to not give a shit allowed him to do some pretty interesting things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like not many manga artists can get away with what he has. I think it's because right. Toriyama just focuses on making the series fun to read that you don't worry about taking it too seriously and so all of these like ideas of oh wait a minute isn't this person power level supposed to be x or wait a minute isn't this supposed to work like this it doesn't it like bounces off you more because you're more engaged in like the the fun elements of it and you're not worried about like the technicalities i think the torment of power maybe did like push some of my like power scaling buttons like like ah it would be more satisfying if you know they acknowledge xyz or whatever but because the torment of power and ended up being its own thing like its own like really unique roller coaster ride that was like this shared experience that we all <laughs> kind of had together at once like that that was interesting like it earned its place in you know my my life you know mm-hmm. by just being that and just like going all the way with it yeah pretty much yeah like chris said it really capitalized on the strengths and what's the really most fun part of dragon ball and just showed so much variety within that and having so many different and creative fights with so many different and unique characters and so it was just really entertaining to watch week to week speculate oh what's gonna happen this fight Uh, what's gonna happen in this episode and so you know, it it does bring you back to, like, when you were younger and you were, like, you didn't know as much about Dragon Ball. You were, like, following it for the first time. You're like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And it's really nice to have that kind of feeling with a series like this. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, like, a good note to end the Tournament of Power discussion. Obviously, there's so much more to go into with it. But we've been going on for a long time already. But there might be some straight dots you guys might have. Is there anything else about the tournament you really want to talk about? 
And one thing I'd have, uh, I want to just give like a call out to is just the satisfying kind of full circle arc of Android mm-hmm. 17. I remember being kind of annoyed that he was making it so far into the tournament after like characters like Gohan were eliminated. I was like, is this guy really, is he just popular and that's why he's staying around? Because he's not doing a whole lot. But then to have that cool final moment, I guess two technical final moments, one where we think he's dead and then the actual final moment. They were just really cool ways to like give that character a full circle kind of close to it that was just really satisfying i, I super appreciate yeah. oh that. man S- 17 had some amazing fights in in the tournament honestly i think they did an amazing job with 17's character arc in super because like i really like that he is a changed character from how he was in dragon ball because when we see him in you know dbz in the android cell arc 17 is an incredibly selfish person is also like rebel who went out of cause like he is basically Mm. just going along with this plan to kill goku not because he's like driven to do it because it's like something to do and so he's just like goofing around doing whatever like they steal cars they like (laughs) rob stores like they're just teenagers with obscene amounts of power on a reckless carefree let's just do this whatever it'll be fun why not so 17 is just not motivated or driven by any like greater purpose other than to fulfill his own you know desire to be entertained but then in dragon ball super we see that he's really grown up like he is responsible for protecting this wildlife reservation uh he defends it against poachers and it's given him like a real sense of responsibility and a maturity he's come such a long way from who he was and then we see that yeah so you know in this time that we haven't seen him like this character has changed in the kind of same way 18 had matured in the interim between the android arc and the boo arc and so we can see that this is still recognizably the same person because we still have that that inclination to like be goofy and have fun time like pop up during the tournament like when he's like boasting against uh, the universe 2 members like saying I am android 17 I will take you down warrior of love you know he's playing into that so he's like still that kind of he has that kind of playful personality but he also is more duty driven and more responsible he's able to make more tactical decisions he's fighting for something beyond just himself like even with his wish original wish to you know wish for like a cruise for him and his family it's not just for him he wants to do something nice for his family and then like at the end of the day like when he makes the final wish he's like you know i can think beyond that and do what's best for not just the people you know around me but for like everyone because that's the most responsible thing so i just really like the evolution of 17's character and then how they portray that in the tournament. I I just thought that was really interesting and it really elevated 17 as a character in my mind because I did not really have any strong feelings toward him in the original arc because he was just like some selfish guy who didn't really have any motivations. He just, you know, fought the Z Fighters for the sake of it because like what he else was, was just he a really do? cool rebel that everybody <laughs> liked because he's cool. Yeah, but now he's cool because he's so mature and he's so smart and such a tactical fighter that he can come up with strategies to fight against really cunning opponents and have this fake-out strategy where he, like, pretends to sacrifice himself so he can resurface later on the line in order to help out in the final moments of the tournament. So I really appreciated, like, that evolution for that character. I think it's the most profound character growth, like, we see from a character from Z to Super, and it really stood out to me. Mm, I would agree with that. I guess, um... 
I just really want to mention how much I really liked Topo, and I still feel that he would have made a more interesting antagonist, just because basically all the universes hate Goku, because Goku just wants a tournament, he just wants to fight, but now because of Goku's desire to just want to have a fight, like, his selfish desires put all of the universes at risk, and certain universes kind of make him out to be the bad guy and try to take advantage of that. I remember that being a big source of discourse for a lot of Dragon Ball fans when that was a little more relevant. I would have really liked to see Toppo fill the role that Jiren basically filled, especially with the fact that he turns out to be a candidate for God of Destruction, which that was a twist I didn't see coming that I thought was really cool. And um, compared to most characters we've seen in the franchise, like you get the impression that Toppo has seen some shit he has been through a lot. He's a very seasoned, grizzled warrior type of person who, like, he's been through a lot of stuff. He has this air of maturity that I don't think a, really a lot of characters in the Dragon Ball franchise have, and I thought it was kind of refreshing in a way. I kind of liked seeing his personality kind of play off of people like, you know, like Seventeen, and I just thought that was a really interesting character as far as just this franchise goes. Mm-hmm. Do we have any other characters we're looking forward to, or... Like, any other final straight thoughts about the art? Vegeta was super cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to go, like, on a whole thing. Vegeta was very cool. Just wanted to give a shout yeah, out. Yeah, super was Man, good with that. Seeing Vegeta cry always breaks my heart. Yeah. I feel like people could bitch and be like, oh, the, you know, that episode where he basically just gets the shit beaten out of him and he's just constantly getting up. Episode. It's a good episode. <laughs> I, I could see people being like, oh, this takes forever. Oh, whatever. I don't care. But like, I thought that episode was very effective. And man, it's just like, so that was such a hard episode to watch, but in a good way. Because it's like, man, you, you just see Vegeta just get the shit kicked out of him. It was just so heart-wrenching to see him get up, like, every time. You just kind of, at some point, I just kind of wanted him to stay down. I just didn't want him to suffer anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of amazing how much I've just, I've just kind of come to really care about Vegeta as a character. He's really come a long way. He is, has one of the strongest arcs in the series, for sure. Mm-hmm. From his evolution from, like, a completely irredeemable villain in the Saiyan Saga to where he ends off the Boo Saga, where, you know, he gets brought back to life because he's acknowledged as a good person. And he contributes to saving the Earth in such a meaningful way. He kind of goes through the same arc, like, three or four times in the series, and it's amazing <laughs> every time. Yeah, that's the most amazing thing about it. I remember seeing somebody say something like that, like, oh, well, this is just the same arc he went through in Boo, but it's like, I don't really care. Because, like <laughs> Sam said, it works, like, every time. Like, I don't, like, somehow I'm not really tired of it. There does feel like there's something new each time. I think that's part of the success. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. Like, the humility that Vegeta shows uh, when he sacrifices himself against Boo is different than the humility he shows when Frieza's poking a hole in his heart. Exactly, because I think in this situation, Vegeta is obviously more desperate because, again, his not just his family, but his entire damn universe is on the line. Yeah, and he's also fighting to resurrect Kaba and those guys because he wants to visit another Saiyan homeworld, one that wasn't destroyed. And it, like, legitimately breaks his heart when, like, he genuinely feels terrible about himself because he wants to keep his promise to Kaba and bring him back. But, like, I mean, in the end, he was brought back. But at the time, you know, obviously he didn't feel like he was going to be able to achieve that goal. And it's legitimately heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, even if Goku won, like, he still feels down about it because, like, he wanted to be, to do that himself. He still feels like he failed. Mm -hmm. So, Vegeta is 
always compelling, and I'm very glad they are continuing to keep him as a deuteragonist and keep him having as much spotlight as Goku. Uh, I think that is one thing that really helps Super a lot is that Vegeta is there to be around Goku because they bring out the best in each other. Yeah. And that just makes the series more interesting when they're both pushing each other and they're both involved in a story. Oh, yeah. And... I think that about does it with our thoughts about Dragon Ball Super itself. But I wanted to just throw out some more questions to you guys. The first is, comparing this with Dragon Ball GT, what do you think Super succeeded at that that didn't as a continuation of Dragon Ball? Didn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I was really struggling to come up with a better answer, but, like, it's not a hard thing to accomplish, but, like, Dragon Ball Super is ten times more colorful than GT ever was, because I think that's part of the reason Mm. why, like, I've still never finished GT. Mm. I don't think I ever will, no matter how much I want to try. (laughs) Those first 13 episodes are so hard for me to get through, but, like, you know, a GT, just visually speaking, looks Giraffe. It's not a fun show to watch, like, at all. It's a weird sort of premise, too, where the concept of, like, let's make Goku a kid again to kind of relive some of those fun adventures of early Dragon Ball seems like a decent idea and concept, but it seems like almost a betrayal to the audience who has followed him being an adult up to this point for what seems like kind of a silly gimmick of, like, well, Goku's a kid now, and let's deal with it in that regard, and he has his tag-along friends of Pam and, and Trunks, who neither of which really feel like they serve that strong of a purpose in the series. Like, this feels like it was an interesting concept for, like, a spin-off sort of series or something like that, but as what is meant to feel like it's supposed to be a main continuation of the series, it's just an odd premise of like, well, Goku's a kid again, and he teams up with teenage Trunks and a child Pam to like go fight through the Dragon Ball universe again. Like, I kind of like some of the ideas they came up with, like some of the villains and like an evil Shenron and everything like that. Like, those feel like kind of fun ideas Mm -hmm. it just felt like it went against the spirit of an actual continuation of dragon ball z in so many ways when you're like oh well gohan doesn't fight anymore he's he's just like a businessman dude now and uh krillin krillin doesn't fight anymore he has a stupid haircut and just stands (laughs) off with his kid and uh go tanks they don't they don't do anything anymore either they're they're doing their own thing it's sort of just like so who is doing anything anymore because nobody feels familiar to dragon ball z anymore nobody is the same at this point Mm-hmm. And Vegeta has a terrible mustache. Yeah, well, no, I mean, come on, he rocks that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it feels like a real regression to have Goku become a child again and basically goes through the beats of a Dragon Ball hunt when they've done that before in the series. That you know, So they go back to retread ground, but in a way that is not as compelling because they are essentially starting over with, like, new characters in the form of Pan, who, you know, wasn't really developed as a character before. But, and we also have, like, Trunks, who is now, like, in a teen body. He resembles future Trunks, but he's not the same character as that. And he's also recognizably different from Kid Trunks, so he's kind of like a blank slate, but he doesn't have much of a personality. And we're 
just following that trio for like the first third of the show and it's just not a very compelling dynamic and not a whole lot of interesting scenarios because we're leaving behind the cast of characters we grew to love uh, and now Goku is kind of out together because he's regressed back into a more childlike state and now we have like these two very bland characters that we haven't really grown to appreciate being around him that don't really bring out the best in him. Goku is like shines the most as a character when he has someone to interact with and you know really you know showcase what makes him interesting as a character or compelling as a character and Pan and Trunks didn't really manage to accomplish that and then there was just poor execution all around on the ideas that they had which you know there were interesting ideas. Man especially with isn't it such a great idea to have like this situation where like basically if you use up the Dragon Balls too much that there are consequences yeah. isn't that an amazing idea yeah. I thought there were tons of great ideas in GT number one the theme song perfect theme yeah. song everybody loves oh, it yeah dub, I love dub, yeah dub opening is amazing it's it's <laughs> awful in all the best ways I actually love the concept of Super Saiyan 4, too. Like, I like this idea of, it's like, oh, they actually get back some of, like, that great ape kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. to them and, like, brings it back home. Like, nowadays, I feel like a Super Saiyan power-up just needs to change the color of Goku's hair into something different. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, that's a new level now. Whereas this one actually felt like, no, this, <laughs> this does feel like an evolution of their powers. Like, because the Saiyan power is very primal and even just concept. So making them more like an ape more like an animal towards that end was kind of just a cool visual idea and i do like the idea of bringing dragon ball back to being kind of an adventure series my biggest issue with dragon ball tends to be that there's never any like narrative progression it's always just well here's a new antagonist you know it's like one piece where they'll travel to a new island and that's where the adventure takes place dragon ball it's generally like well we'll sit around for a while maybe we'll start doing one thing and then a bad guy will show up i like the idea of like well let's go out and actively search for dragon balls let's actively do something and not just wait for the next antagonist to kind of come around and start a new saga off of that it just had very poor execution all the way around i, I really don't understand the idea of de-aging goku and then pairing him up with essentially two strangers mm-hmm. it'd be really nice to see some of those gt concepts kind of reworked in whatever super's continuation will be whatever the next tv series will be because there are so many really unique ideas especially that consequences to using the Dragon Ball idea that Mm. really should have gotten so much better development than they did. With the Shadow Dragon Saga, you know, we have these seven, like, evil manifestations that were all born from a wish made in the series, but, like, the actual Shadow Dragons don't really reflect those wishes that well. Like, it's very Mm -hmm. loosely tied into whatever the goal of the wish was. Like, I know Six Star was born from Oolong's Wish, but, like, what was the connection between, like, her wind powers or whatever and attacking some seaside town to, like, Oolong's underwear wish? Other than the fact that it was embarrassing for her. Like, what was the connection there? I never got that far in GT. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> the, only, the only one that was really any compelling that made sense to me was Nova Shenron, who was the incarnation of the four-star dragon, of the four-star Dragon Ball and the wish that was made to revive everyone killed by King Piccolo. And that's a meaningful connection because Nova Shenron is the most honorable of the Shadow Dragons. He grows a friendship and respect with Goku. He becomes their his ally later on in the fight with Omega Shenron. Like, and you know, obviously, he is kind of like representative of like that wish on the Dragon Balls with King Piccolo because, like, that was not only such an important moment in this in this story, like, it was the first time we were, were really wishing back multiple people from the dead, but also, again, Piccolo 
is one of the most significant villain to good guy turns in the series that kind of gets into the heart of like one of Dragon Ball's main things is that like a lot of the enemies become Goku's allies and friends. So that was the only good like thematic connection they made. And then the rest of them are like, whatever. They were born of this wish, but their actions and personality don't really affect that that much. Yeah, so wasted ideas. Hopefully they can be recycled in something better. We actually get to spend time with characters we, you know, we're actually like yeah. already acquainted with. That's one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really nice. Uh, now they bring back Frieza in a way more satisfying way in Super. Both Frieza and 17 are way better in Super than the <laughs> stupid Super 17 are. What a dumb idea. Guys, I have an idea for a new villain. What if we Take two 17s and combine them together. And Super 17's stupid mullet is just the worst. Ugh. Yeah, he looks ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so Super, it sticks to what we like about Dragon Ball, emphasizes that, and also just better execute its ideas than GTs. And I think that's what made it work a whole much better. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do want to specifically, though, call out that although Dragon Ball Super is a much better franchise sort of continuation... I do appreciate that GT tried to be something different. Mm -hmm. I think part of the problem with Super is it's like, we'll just stay to the same path. Because it's very indistinguishable when you look at it from Z. They really just seem like you get a continuation just with better animation style techniques used throughout it. Whereas GT, you're very firmly able to say like, well, this is different because... There are very different aspects in it, you know. Super follows the exact same characters for the most part, with the addition of a couple others who get introduced in it. But primarily is still the same kind of characters doing the same kind of thing in very similar sort of environments. It just added alternate universes and things like that. So I definitely do appreciate that GT, at least at the start, and maybe why its most successful points were when it diverted back to that same kind of feeling, at least tried to be something different. I always appreciate it when a series that's continuing itself or trying to go in a new direction tries to be at least innovative with itself. I do think Dragon Ball would be helped to try to be a little bit more innovative in some of its concepts moving forward. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would like to see, you know, try and expand on more original ideas and make a series about new characters and not about Goku's story. I think there is potential in a Dragon Ball series where we are, like, following a new group of characters and we're exploring the universe that way. Like, they could make Dragon Ball Heroes a show, except remove some, like, the parts where they have all existing characters been part of it. I think, like, a kind of a reinterpretation or, like, a continuation in the style of Megalobox and what that is to Shinano Joe could be really cool for it. Like, something that feels different, but is still recognizably Dragon Ball. Mm. Like, if you just look at, say, what Boruto does with Naruto, at least you're able to distinctly say, and this, you know, isn't to say the quality of Boruto is amazing or anything like that, Boruto feels distinctly different mm -hmm. from Naruto just because... Everything in it kind of feels a little bit different, even though, like, the core concepts of the group are almost identical. It's just the idea of being like, hey, we've evolved in technology, or hey, we've changed up some of the elements here, you know, we're going with almost a different aesthetic to everything. It'd be cool to see a little bit, and I'm not asking for Dragon Ball to be something better or, not better, that's that's the wrong term, but to be something different than what it is at its best, which is, like, crazy over-the-top action. I still want that. I'm not gonna change. I still want to have the inner 12-year-old in me starts jumping on the couch screaming, like, woo, this is awesome. I would just like to see cool innovations put into it to help the franchise have a long life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think the Tournament of Power was a good step in the right direction as far as that was concerned. Mm. And I hope they continue going forward with that idea and like evolving into more of its own thing as they keep making new movies and series and the franchise continues going forward. Because there's a lot you can do with the Dragon Ball universe. So hopefully mm-hmm. we don't fall back on tired ground, but continue exploring new and interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. But I think we will round off now with some Q&As that we got on Twitter. And the first question here comes from MetalMarion.exe, who asks, Have you read the Dragon Ball Super manga past the first or second volume? If you have, are there any changes or characterizations you like? For example, I like Kale and Cauliflower were introduced, and I felt it made them more interesting and cool. Have any of you guys uh, read the manga? I have not. A little bit. I've not, and my only knowledge of it comes from my co-host Nick, who read it for <laughs> reviews on ANN and just talked about how much he hated it. So yeah. I've always been like held off on just being like, well, Nick said it's awful, so. I hear mixed things about it. Like, I see people kind of criticize the art a lot, and then I... Really? Yeah, like, I've seen... People like like on Twitter on YouTube talk about how like I think Super Eyepatch Wolf in one of his Dragon Ball videos he was you know talking about uh, Toriyama's uh, paneling and how he structures a page compared to Toyotaro mm-hmm. who doesn't really have that same kind of flair um, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean obviously I hear that some story beats in the manga are a little more different. I hear that some are better than others, but I'm kind of interested in reading the manga. But for me, it's not exactly a high priority. Like I wouldn't mind checking it out at some point. I have a weird place with the manga, too, because even though I'm fully aware, the manga existed before the anime of Dragon Ball as, like, a franchise. My consumption of Dragon Ball has exclusively been anime for so long that, like, reading the manga just feels wrong. Like, I'm just like, no, that's not how I should be, I should be digesting this in the future. That's insane. That'd be like watching the next Marvel movie through the novelization of it or something like that. Like, no, see the movie, you know? I can definitely understand that feeling because it is a different experience watching the anime and reading the manga. And the things that only the anime has, like the music, the voice acting, and animation, there is just such an appealing quality to that with, like, the original anime in Dragon Ball Z that, you know, if you really appreciate that, then the manga will not satisfy you in that same way. But as a comic, the original Dragon Ball manga is just extremely well done and it's I, I would yeah. say it's like one of the best action comics because Toriyama's paneling and how he executes his action beats is just so incredibly engaging and how your eyes flow from panel to panel and page to page. That is just an incredibly engrossing read and incredibly oh, yeah. exciting. For me, the a big part of the appeal of the manga has always been not just like the art, but like I've always loved the pacing mm-hmm. of the manga. <laughs> I've always loved the flow of the the plotting of the manga. Like to me, like the way that a big shonen story arc, the way that that is like structured and like shaped and it moves. Like to me, that's like the most interesting part about like stories. And like I get so much out of the Dragon Ball manga and Kai appropriately. Mm-hmm. That's the way in which Super can't actually really scratch that itch for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super the anime does not truly feel like a continuation of the story to me. To me, it's just like a slightly better GT. (laughs) It's like this alternate add-on thing. Mm, That's fair. But the manga, aside from the Beerus arc, which is crazy brief, like it's like they may as well have not even bothered. They didn't bother with Resurrection F because that was like a tie-in thing that they did before they even did the super manga. But like from what I have seen of the super original story stuff, I could see myself enjoying it as much, if not more, than 
most of the anime version. I mean, the anime version has like moments that like really shine. They're like really great and exciting, but like the, the way that the story is more cohesive and is more momentum based, that gets me closer to what I actually want out of Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely with Toriyama's pacing and his storytelling with the original manga, there was like a flow to it and a speed to it that, you know, is completely slowed down in the anime because, again, one page chapter per episode. That's a part of like what makes the manga such an engrossing reading experience and what both I feel like the super anime and manga can't capture because the anime is, is written with like what is the focus of this individual episode it's so much more methodical. Yeah, methodical like so much more like rigidly structured in terms of we're gonna have this plan out for what will happen in this set of episodes and then this beat will happen in this episode and this and this and all that whereas with Toriyama's original run of the manga you know he was making things up week to week there was just this energy to the way the story progressed he didn't have anything like coherently planned out for what will happen from beginning to end but like it still felt cohesive and it's just it still felt like the story was flowing naturally whereas with super you feel like there are stopping points and what kind of like what i wish i kind of brought up when we were talking about the goku black arc where just the example of like Trunks getting to be the one who lands the final blow. Like to me, that's like such an example of like, that's not how the, how Toriyama actually would do it. Like the way Toriyama starts an arc is completely different than how he ends it, you know? Yeah. Toriyama does not plan out like a true line of like what should happen thematically or with characters throughout an arc, but it just flows organically from his mind. Yeah. And super, everything is planned out from the beginning when they go into an arc, at least in terms of like what block beats should happen. So it loses that genuine quality that the original has. Yeah, and, and that's compounded by the general, like, you can tell there's a different screenwriter on every episode. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I do read the manga. So uh, for me, uh, I think the manga benefits from having a singular vision in Toriyotaro being the only one interpreting the story from Toriyama's notes. So, like, both the anime and manga draw from, like, a base draft outline that Toriyama wrote which has like plot points of what will happen in the arc but it's very loose in terms of like what should go where and what should happen where and when so the tournament of power really drives home like how loosely Toriyama's outline is because things are mixed and matched in completely different ways between the two versions. And it's really interesting to read the manga because of that and to see, like, this was probably in Toriyama's draft, but Toyotaro chose to put it in here to make this chapter, like, read stronger and, like, the flow of this story work a little better in his version. I think that is really interesting. I think Toyotaro has been doing a good job with his storytelling in certain ways that is more effective than the anime's version. But because of the pacing of the manga in terms of, like, its monthly release date and how much he can do with, the st- with like, such a story with so many characters, especially with the tournament power, like, a lot is getting you know, left out that was appealing about the anime and its attention to the members of, you know, Team Universe 7 and other supporting characters. So, like, Krillin and Tenshinhan don't even get a fight before they're taken out. Frost just, like, punches them both out right at the start. 18 doesn't get any victories. Like, she briefly fights with Ribian in a gag fight and then gets knocked out by the invisible members of Universe 4. 
It's not really as satisfying if you want to see all of the characters get something to do and really get a spotlight. But it's still interesting to read because at least from the storytelling angle, what he's doing makes sense for the most part. I think the only complaint I had was what he did with Hit. Which, I feel he, like, abandons everything that's interesting about Hit, like, his time skip and stuff. So Hit just fights normally, and it's just not interesting. And it, like, feel it misses what's appealing about the characters. So I didn't really care for that. But in general, I think, like, his storytelling is strong. Uh, His action has gotten a lot better in the Tournament of Power. Like, I think what Colton mentioned with that Super Eyepatch Wolf example, in the beginning, it's Toyotaro's, like, panel layouts in an action scene are very stiff and how things flow between each other but he's gotten so much better with that now to the point where like I'm really engaged in the action of the chapter and I find it a lot of fun to read. The Universe 6 art is uh, in general weakened by like inconsistent pacing in terms of like how much time is given to each beat but it works for what it is. I think like the strongest point of the manga, the strongest arc so far in the manga was the Future Trunks arc and I would say that the Future Trunks arc is better in the manga than in the anime because it's more focused, it's more streamlined so there's like less times they have to go into the future to fight Black before like retooling their strategy. Instead of the anime where they go three times, they, they only go twice in the manga. And then like they have more things happening at the same time in a chapter, so they're not wondering like, oh, wh- why are they just waiting around to do this, or why are they spending so much time on this, and you know, so like it feels like more is going on, things are more like focused, and the direction overall is just a lot stronger. I felt, yeah. So I would recommend that reading that arc because that's where the manga really kind of gets into its groove, and I do think that arc storytelling wise is superior to the anime. Uh, and the Tournament of Power is depending on what you wanted out of the tournament power in terms of whether you wanted like to see all the U7 characters get like really good cool things to do and development or whether you just wanted to like focus on the idea of like the Goku Jiren conflict then whichever you like more is going to differ because uh, Togitaro leans more into developing that Goku Jiren rivalry thing and then has, like, other fights going on to support that uh, and set up, like, characters who will be important in the climax, like, giving Seventeen and Frieza a lot of time to shine. Or, like, at least, like, a more proactive role in the arc. And he's emphasizing the characters that will matter in the climax, it seems. Uh, I also will say that the Frieza and Frost, their alliance makes so much more sense in the manga because Frieza actually, like, uses Frost for something that matters. Frieza tricks Frost into eliminating most of Universe 9. So Frieza actually gets something out of the alliance with Frost instead of like dicking around for a little bit to play with Gohan or, or something before like knocking Frost off. Wasn't there like, like a. Uh, I, I read that chapter. I'm trying to Because there's like a really great Frieza panel in that yeah, one. Like yeah. He gets a stinger or something. With, yeah, he like grabs Frost's like mouth and like he's like whispering in his ear, like, never trust anyone. Like, that's such a menacing moment. It was so good. The execution of that was really strong. Oh, actually, that was something I forgot to bring up earlier. That was one of the few things that actually bothered me about the arc was that there were so many times where, like, Frieza is, like, clearly around or, like... (laughs) 
I didn't really realize until, like, the end, like, okay, they're saving him for, like, the very last couple of episodes. Okay, I get it. And, of course, Frieza would probably be the type of person to just kind of wait around and let everybody else take each other out. I kind of understand that, but it's, like, it's still kind of annoying to know that he's around and he's not really doing anything. And you know that the editing, the photography is, like, it's trying to avoid you having to think about it, but you're thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) I think they kind of do that on purpose. You're supposed to be asking, where's Frieza? And then when Frieza comes back, the actual surprise is, oh, 17's alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, it also, it's because my initial thought, too, was when we kept kind of teasing the idea of Frieza being alive, I was like, okay, Frieza has not done anything really yet beyond kind of exist in this tournament and be evasively evil. Is the very end of this going to be that Goku wins and then he, like, throws Goku off and uses his wish on the Super Dragon Balls for something crazy and that's, oh, like, that the setup been for the amazing. series? Like, that was what my <laughs> kind of thought was. So, and this is just a personal thing, too. I don't know if necessarily what the series was intending, but for me, it was, like, a personal kind of, like, misdirection where it's like, no, he actually has a real purpose at the end of this as a very satisfying thing as well. And then the end of this arc is going to be very different. So it was kind of cool to be like, I don't know 100% how this is gonna end yeah i think what they did with frieza in the tournament like it was good because he walked the line because you know that he is just in it for himself and he has his own goals but like in the end the need to eliminate jiren is much stronger than his own selfish desire so he does relent and team up with goku in order to take that out because he's willing to settle at that moment to just be brought back to life and not go forward with his, like, full plan, which is to be the last one standing to get the wish. They played around with that idea well. Uh, in general, I wasn't too bothered with Frieza, like, not, you know, showing up a whole lot in the tournament to, like, help out or anything. Because Frieza was just, he wasn't necessarily interested in being a team player. Like, he was mostly just torturing people who were weaker than him because he, you know, that's fun for him. He just plays around until, like, he's forced to, like, fight. Like, against Anilaza, he needed to be there to help them. And then Dispo engages him, so he does that. And then... He continues to go forward to, like, find cheap shots to, like, fire a topo at his back when he's engaged in a bean struggle with 17 and, and all that stuff. Frieza is, wasn't interested in directly confronting people. He was just interested in being the last one there and just eliminating people in cheap shots. So it made sense. I mean, like I said, his actions, I guess, in retrospect, they made sense. But it's just at the time, I was just like, man, get in there and do something. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I was pretty satisfied with him overall. I completely forgot to mention this, uh, but one other thing I liked about how they represent Frieza as a member of the team is like in the opening, in the both of the shots in the opening where, you know, he's in there, like the first shot would has all the U7 members besides the Saiyans, and then uh, the second shot where it's, like, every member of Team U7, like, walking forward in the tournament ring. Like, I love Mm -hmm. the subtle detail that, like, while every character is holding the Dragon Ball in that shot in the opening, like, Frieza's the only one who isn't. The Dragon Ball is just floating in front of him, and his arms are crossed. Like, he can't grab it, because he's not, like, a part of the team. So so he, he can't, like, hold on to the Dragon Ball. And then later, like, in the shot where all the characters are, like, walking forward on the tournament stage, like, everyone is focused forward. Like, focused on the battle ahead. They're all looking forward. Frieza is the only one who is looking towards the side, which is just a really small but subtle way to show that Frieza is not, like, you know, unified as a part of this team. Like, he's not interested in being, like, a team player. Like, his interest is elsewhere. So I just 
Like, mm-hmm. that subtle details they did when they added Frieza in the opening. I didn't really have anywhere else to add it into this conversation, but I wanted to mention it. I geeked out over that. The next question from Metal Marion, which is, what is your favorite Tournament of Power contestant? Oh, that's a tough one. So I assume we shouldn't just go with the main, like, characters within it instead refer to, like, the tertiary ones? Sure, because we mentioned before how much we liked, you know, Topo and Kaelin Cauliflower, so... Let's mention some of the ones that, like, weren't necessarily, like, major developed characters, but just, like, side characters who were fun. Ribriana. Yeah, yeah. Ribriana is great. <laughs> People were dunking on her, but I thought she was fun the yeah. whole way through. See, that's funny, because, like, I didn't hate her, but, like... There was a part of me that felt like, man, how is she, like, not out already? I feel like she shouldn't be here so still. Well, then you'll like the manga. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Her fight with 18 was pretty cool. Like, I I really like seeing 18 just running on her and then just, like, giving her, like, one... Was it a punch or a blast? I don't remember. I think it was punch right through her, like, forehead or whatever. It's really cool. That was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, man. Who was that one guy, that really, like, Sentai-looking guy? Dr. Tesla. Oh, yeah. I was just about to bring him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was such an amazingly, like, useless character. <laughs> That, like, he, in another series, he'd be pretty cool. I, I just I like that that dude consistently stayed around and just had the misfortune of being the one who was around when Vegeta was like, I cannot fucking deal with this shit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets eliminated by the invisible guy from the Universe 4, because uh, mm. he's on the edge. But yeah, Kazabizla's gimmick was a lot of fun. He was, it was good, like, recurring joke that he like first he tries to fight Frieza and then Frieza's like nah I don't care and then he tries to fight 18 and 17 but then they easily repel him and then eventually he fights Vegeta and I like that his belt gimmick like he keeps changing what his his mode on his suit which is mostly like make him faster or make him stronger or whatever but it doesn't do anything at all that was a lot of fun I liked uh for just like a side character but I kind of liked a lot was uh I don't know if it's Ganos or Janos Janos yeah the one kid who, yeah, who becomes like a bird monster in that thing with Roshi. Mm. I just kind of thought that was like a cool visual design and like it was going to be tough because you had to have that moment with Roshi feel big but you couldn't have him eliminate one of the major villains to that point. So they kind of had to build one up but it was kind of satisfying to see like Ganos in that moment. He was kind of like just a cool aesthetically dope kind of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he wasn't like one of the big players in the tournament but like he was ostensibly the team leader for Universe 4. So it did feel meaningful that Roshi got to take out an opponent that, you know, had a status like that. Mm-hmm. I forgot there, like, the one Doctor for Universe 3 was Dr. Paparoni. Yeah, Paparoni. I can't, I can't hear that and not assume that, like, in another universe he's just called Dr. Paparoni and we just cut out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> I like him for his name alone. He was fun because... That whole team was... Whenever he showed up, he, he was just, like easily pushed aside until it came time for like the final fight for universe three so i kind of liked like no one was giving him any uh, paying any attention or giving him any respect until that final confrontation with universe three i like mona like the big girl from uh universe four that kaba fights just because she was an effective antagonist for uh kaba because kaba is very polite soft-spoken character and then he's fighting like this really brash you know smack talking characters it was like a good like contrast of personalities that i thought you know worked well for kaba in that episode Mm -hmm. and it was like another like cool fun female fighter which is always welcome 
Kazarol was also nice from uh, U11. He's like the cyborg guy. Like, he had some fun moments with Toppo where, like, there was this moment where, like, they were in this, like, bar or whatever and they were wearing suits and they were just, like, talking to each other about, like, the upcoming tournament. And then later there was, like, this scene where he was, like, rescuing a cat from a tree, like, mere hours before they were supposed to go to the tournament. Uh, so I, I thought, like, he was kind of fun. I was kind of surprised they eliminated him so quickly. Yeah, he, he could have been an interesting character, I guess. Mm -hmm. In general, there were a lot of good, like, designs in the tournament power, so it was, like, really interesting to have, like, so many, so much variety in the characters. But definitely there was more of an emphasis on characters from Universe 11, 6, and 2 as characters, you know, we, we get invested in and care about. But, you know, there were some gag characters from other universes. Um, I guess I like the trio to Dangers because of their really <laughs> lame-ass name. Yeah. Oh, I like Basil because he gave Boo his only fight in Super, so that was good. <laughs> so I, I guess we'll move on to questions from uh, Redscar64. His first question is, do you want a version of Dragon Ball Super written and drawn purely by Turiyama, and would it be all the better for it? I would say no, and I, I say that for the sense that I think Dragon Ball as a franchise is in a very beautiful spot right now where Toriyama has kind of pushed it away. He, he You know, there was very notable stuff that he had, a series that just continued running for fucking ever. Like, they just kept, like, saying, like, do another arc and things like that, so... I think he appreciates the fact that he's able to step away and not be the one who has to do all this continuous right. work for a series that, you know, an audience just demands more of. But he's still able to add his touch to it. You know, there's there's so much love for this franchise that people are going to continue to make more of it. But the onus for producing it is not entirely on this one person who's just kind of not willing or not really up for doing that, you know, soul responsibility anymore like it still exists right. he still adds his touch to it it's still his creation but it moves on and it's becoming something that people could still enjoy going forward and we could have you know decades and decades of more dragon ball and i think that's the best way for this kind of series to go forward mm -hmm. yeah and for what it's worth akira toriyama wrote resurrection f that is mm -hmm. true uh, he also wrote yeah. uh the dragon <laughs> i don't ball think he has the same touch he used to, to. retcon bardock's backstory and to be less interesting so <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like a collection of plot points. It didn't really feel like a story. Yeah, so Toriyama doesn't always have well Toriyama has really good ideas sometimes, but like he's not always the best storyteller necessarily. And like especially no, where yeah. he is uh, especially like uh, where he is like right now in his life and also in terms of like how his style has developed now, like it's very different from what, you know, Dragon Ball used to look like. It's a lot more like cleaner, yeah. rounder, and I don't know if that would be as like fun to read. Uh, like Toyotaro does a good job yeah. of recapturing what Toriyama's art was like in the Boo Saga, with kind of like those rougher edges and stuff. So I think it's good that he's like passed on like how the story is handled to other people. He like he comes up with a broad outline of like what he thinks should happen, but he's letting other people like flesh out that story and i think that's a good middle ground for the franchise right now and so as it continues forward like it can slowly like maybe wean off from toriyama's like ideas and start going in its own direction because it is important for dragon ball like as a franchise to continue forward with new ideas and new people being brought in to give life to those ideas yeah i i think i'm personally okay with what we have going on right now where again yeah toriyama comes up with a very broad idea and then you have basically other people to kind of expand on that you know i'm not opposed to seeing more manga from toriyama in general 
whether he decides to do more Dragon Ball stuff, I mean, like, I'm content with knowing that he'll probably never do it. I mean, like, Jacko the Galactic Patrolman was, like, the closest I think we will ever get to new Dragon Ball stuff exclusively from Toriyama, drawn by Toriyama, written by Toriyama, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of a good thing in its own way, too, just because when you're a creator and you've reached a point where you don't want to work on something per se as much anymore, or you want to do new things with it that don't really necessarily gel with how, you know, maybe the overarching company or even the general public wants to see it go. It's nice to be able to still give Toriyama a lot of creative liberty to still do things that can influence the Dragon Ball universe like Jacko, but not tie him down to being like, hey, you're back to a weekly series every week, continue pumping this out so we can make an anime and things like that. I mean, the dude's not getting any younger, so I mean, like, it's probably too late to make him start doing any more, like, long-form series anytime soon, but, like, I don't know. I guess I'm fine with the way things are. And I'm fine with new Dragon Ball stuff as long as it still feels like it's Toriyama's work in some way, shape, or form. But that doesn't also mean I'm opposed to the franchise going in, like, a new direction and kind of challenging itself. Do something new with the franchise, but also still have it feel like Dragon Ball. Mm -hmm. As long as we still kind of have that middle ground, I'm okay with pretty much anything. What I find really interesting about this is, maybe I'm mistaken, but there's, there's very few mediums in which a very popular sort of franchise is sort of propelled forward, not exclusively, but majority by one creator. You know, it's not like superheroes where the writers for a series is going to change pretty frequently, or even where movies where directors will kind of swap in between or in and out. We're sort of seeing with mangas a very unique sort of enterprise where, you know, look at One Piece. This is something that's been going on for almost 20 years, headed by just Oda. And eventually these series kind of run this place where they move beyond just one person writing the entire thing. And they kind of are allowed to expand and go in different directions. And that original creator can still influence it, can still be a part of it. can still be a huge heart to that series, but they don't have to be the sole propulsion forward anymore. And I I think that's just a very cool thing to see because it's it's something that we just don't see with anything else. You know, comics are never going to be like that movies television they just don't have that same kind of thing like i guess maybe you have like executive producers on the simpsons or something like that but i mean generally speaking it's just not one person that influences it so much like toriyama did with dragon ball mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think like just having new people work on dragon ball, new people writing dragon ball is ultimately better and healthier for it for it to continue you know having new ideas and moving forward yeah absolutely that's the best thing we can kind of get out of it is hey maybe toriyama is tired of this series but there's plenty of other people who are gonna be like hey i have some crazy cool ideas for dragon ball and i love this series so let me let's try to put new directions on it and, and new spins and all those sorts of things mm-hmm. and i think on that note that ties into tally's next question and our final question what do you think dragon ball will be like moving forward with super's contribution to the mythology Oh, that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I assume we're going to have something dealing with Frieza in the future, since the end of it was like him starting up a new evil empire. I don't know where they directly go from here, though. It's, you know, we got that movie coming out, but, you know, does Dragon Ball kind of continue moving forward in the sort of sci-fi realm that it's kind of been pushing a little bit more into, but the focus on time travel and alternate universes? Do we, I presume we were going to get more alternate universe stuff with at least Universe 6, but, you know, there's still other, four other kind of unexplored universes out there and the potential of alternate timelines that could be created. 
it's sort of a weird space that Dragon Ball's in where it could choose to go fully in that direction or it could pull back and be like more traditional stuff. Hey, all of our events in the Tournament of Power have given an opportunity for more great evil powers to kind of come about or, you know, however they decide to go with it. Or hell, I mean, maybe after this is done, they decide to time skip forward or something like that. I mean, it's not unheard of in this sort of industry. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of exciting to not know where the franchise is going to directly go. Definitely. I think there's a lot of potential because in Super, they open up the world to, you know, expand to all these different universes. This idea that there's just so much more out there that we can explore with new characters and places we haven't seen. Like we don't, we haven't seen anyone from universes 1, 12, 5, or 8. So they could visit there. Like there's just so much to explore in the world now. So I think they could go anywhere with it. It would be very interesting. I really just want to see a continuation of Dragon Ball that takes place after the actual end of the manga. I want to see what we get out of that. Yes, I, I would love to see, like, Goku training Oob and... But, I mean, besides GT, I don't know if we'll ever really get anything like that. I hope we actually see, like, Goku be a mentor figure. I think I want to see that as his next step. Because I think what he was doing with... uh. Kale and Kalafla and like encouraging them to reach new heights was really interesting. I think they formed a good dynamic. I would like him to be like their mentor. I would like to see how that translates to when he becomes Oob's mentor and Pan's mentor. You know, like I would like to see Goku enter that kind of role. I think like it's time for him to do that. Just have Goku open up his own school. <laughs> yeah, just or like Tien. Just like Tien. <laughs> But, like, he wouldn't be the one to run it at all. He would totally need help. <laughs> That'd be cool. Like, Goku continuing on, like, the legacy of the Turtle School. But actually, maybe it'd be like a fusion of, the of like, what he's learned at the Turtle School with King Kai, all his mentors. That'd be really interesting. That's something I hope before Toriyama becomes, you know, so burnt out or, like, so basically tired of the franchise that he basically retires. Like, I hope before he ever retires that, like, he at least gives us some idea of, like, what Dragon Ball is like after the ending of the original manga. Like, that's all I ever really want from Toriyama. Like, I don't I don't necessarily even want, like, a, f a full series or, or anything. Just, like, some kind of epilogue. Just, like, a chapter. I would be happy with just a chapter of epilogue, like, 20 years down the line or something. Thing. I just want something because I've always been so interested in like where the world and where the characters could go after that ending. Like I, I totally understand, you know, you have like, what is it like 10 years in between the end of Boo and the last like two chapters or whatever that you could totally expand upon. And I think that makes sense to expand upon that without committing to basically an idea to the canon of like, yep, this is what things are like after the end of the series. Yeah. But like, yeah, that's something I really want from this franchise, and I hope we get it, you know, sometime before I pass away. That'd be nice. <laughs> well, we have many years ahead of us, so we will hopefully be able to see that happen at some point. <laughs> but I think that does it then for our Dragon Ball Super discussion? And indeed, Finally. it was a super <laughs> long discussion, though even then it was not as long as our World Trigger podcast we recorded last week. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm not fucking losing to them. All right, guys, let's talk about, let's go back to the Universe 6 stuff, so. <laughs> 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 I wish, but I think it's time for uh, most of us to go out and get some dinner because we've been here for a while. Yeah, I'm I'm hungry. <laughs> like Goku, we, I'm sure we can work up quite an appetite. Uh, 
<laughs> eat a bunch of plates worth of food. But thank you guys so much for coming on and talking Dragon Ball Super. Yeah. Us. It was a really fun discussion. Yeah, this was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. This has been a really awesome experience. Thank you. I feel the same. Mm-hmm. And so where can the good people find you guys to hear you talk more uh, and about other awesome things? Uh, how about you, Sam? Where can the good people find you? <clears throat> All right. This is the spiel I get to say at the end of the One Piece podcast mm-hmm. every week. You can find me on Twitter at Lucky Chainsaw. You can find me on the One Piece podcast every week doing the anime recaps. And you can find me on AnimeNewsNetwork.com doing the daily streaming reviews for One Piece, Drag- not Dragon Ball Super, <laughs> and Black Clover. Nice. Do you have that written out or prepared? Or have, have you memorized it? I just it have said it so many times now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's totally fair. I still love my outro. Uh, what about you, Chris? Where can the good people find you? <sighs> oh, no. <laughs> Nick handles this part of the show. I'm going to fumble it. Uh, if you want to see me specifically, you can always follow me on Twitter, at RolloT. If you want to see Weekly Manga Recap, though, the podcast I'm a part of, you can find us on YouTube, Weekly Manga Recap. You can follow us on Twitter, at WMR Podcast. You can also find us on iTunes. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. So go check those guys out. I love listening to the One Piece Podcast and Weekly Manga Recap. They're my favorite podcasts, and I was really excited to talk to you guys about one of the, my favorite series. And, uh, Colton. Thank you for bringing us together. Yes. I went down and recruited you just like Goku for a great cause. Uh, that cause being this podcast talking about Dragon Ball. I was going to say, can I be the Gohan of this team? But then I'm, I'm thinking back to his, his, his execution. I'm like, maybe I should be the, maybe I should be like the Roshi of our team. You know, as much shit as I gave Freeze uh, earlier, I would totally be the one to be like, I'm going to let everyone else fight. I'll, I'll, I'll join in later. Uh, I love to play the villain <laughs> though. Nah, but it, that's okay. I, I guess I can be 17. I'll be the last okay, one Okay, fine. Oh, I don't oh, even no, have to be the villain. I'm Goku because just... I recruited everyone. Sam, you can be our 17. I can be your what? 17. You can be our 17. Oh, I'm the 17. Okay. <laughs> He's cool. I mean, Sid, I don't have to be the villain. I could just be the guy that sits around and waits. Like, you don't have to be a villain to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess Ten Shannon kind of sat around until his episode, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> But Colton, my good co-host and friend, where can the good people find you? Oh, well, my good friend, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I, I talk about a lot of things. I do too many manga threads because that's just the thing I'm doing now. And uh, you can find a few other podcasts I do, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. I basically talk about the Gintama manga from the beginning through the old Viz release. And uh, I kind of do the same thing on uh, One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. Um, where I basically talk with my friend Doctor about uh, Detective Conan slash Case Close. Basically the same thing, except uh, Case Close is still being released by Viz. This is really the only difference. Please go listen to both podcasts. I enjoy recording both of those. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Excellent. And you can find me, Lum Ramayasha, at Lum Ramayasha on Twitter and on Animation Revelation, my anime list. Wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, you can find me. But as for the show, you can find Manga Mavericks on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com or on our YouTube channel, Manga Mavericks, which you can find at YouTube slash C slash Manga Mavericks. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you can find your podcast, we'll be there. Definitely subscribe to us, leave us a rating and review. That definitely helps our podcast grow. And we also love hearing from your guys' feedback. It really helps the show grow. And you can also send us feedback 
to our email at mangamavericks at gmail.com. We love reading your guys' questions. We love uh, reading your comments and criticisms. Just send more of that in general because we love more fan interaction from you guys. And I think that's about does it. If you want to see uh, more of my thoughts about Dragon Ball Super in particular, you can also read uh, my reviews on allofashcomma.com. I've been reviewing Dragon Ball Super chapters as they come out monthly, so you can check those out. I'll have a link to them in the description. And in general, you can also find the podcast first on allofashcomma.com, which is you know where our podcast goes up first, and you can also follow that at, at all underscore comma. And yes, I think that about does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks. And we will see you guys in the next one, wherever the future will take us. See you there! Yeah, do we have any sort of desync to stop recording, or we just stop? Stop. Okay. Hey, it's me, Lum Romayasha, and this year I'm doing Enemy Secret Santa. Oh boy, oh boy, what shows will I get recommended? Hey, my Santa, send me some cool pics, and not the dirty kind. (laughs) I should record a podcast on the one I choose. Good thing I've got, what, only 10 days? Oh no, don't tell me I procrastinated again. Next time on Manga Rarics at Anime, Anime Secret Santa 2018. God damn it, why do I do this to myself? Hey folks, hope you enjoyed the episode, and before we close out the show, I wanted to clarify why this podcast came out so late. I didn't want to start off the podcast explaining this because it would break the momentum of the podcast, and I really wanted to begin it on the note it began on. Now, I sang it before during the opening, but again, I know this should have come out earlier, and I'll give no excuses, no sir. The reason why this podcast came out six months after we recorded it can be attributed to me working on too many projects at once and consequently failing to finish most of them on time. Podcasts are only a hobby, but they are time-consuming to create, and unfortunately, I had more pressing projects I need to devote my attention to in the summer and fall. Procrastination played a large part too, of course, because as the weeks went by, it became increasingly more mentally stressful a task to edit this podcast considering its length and the amount of time and editing I wanted to put into it, causing me to work on shorter and less individually time-consuming projects instead, like finishing the various unreleased at movies episodes. Eventually, I decided to focus on getting the podcast finished and released, though I still ended up pushing my deadline for releasing this back several times. Truthfully, I've had the rough audio of this podcast finished since October, but it's taken me two months to get around to recording all of these wraparound bits and editing music. Ultimately, I've compromised and scaled back the amount of edits I originally wanted to make. Setting December 14th, the premiere of the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie, as the hard deadline for getting this out, which, thankfully, I've succeeded in doing. 
But regardless, that's the situation, the whole situation, and again, I apologize to everyone, and especially Sam and Chris, for taking so long to get this out. But if you guys are listening, I hope you enjoyed revisiting our discussion. I had a lot of fun recording this with you guys, and I hope we can convene together again soon to discuss something another time. But until then... This has been Manga Mavericks and Anime. I've been Lum Ramayasha, your host. Until we meet again, sayonara.